So, welcome once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. You are back with us for another review show. We've obviously worked very hard to get through our reviews in the last couple of months. We've been doing monthly shows, which have obviously then led to mammoth three and a half hour running times. I mean, that's not a bad thing. You know, some of the best things in the world are three and a half hours. Just look at the Lord of the Rings extended editions. And our, and our quality is just that high. Uh, so, But we're looking at getting on to fortnightly reviews now. And then the ultimate goal will be to get back to the weekly reviews. So we're a couple of weeks into September now. So we're going to cover the first two weeks of reviews. This is going to be releases from the 2nd of September and the 9th of September. So your host as always, Alan. Uh, I am delighted to be joined as ever by Mr. Keith Miller. Hello, how are you? Hello, sir. And also by Mr. Roddy McCants. How are you, sir? Hello, yeah, all good here. Um, tell you what, doing that doing that review show was a, a weight off our shoulders, wasn't it? <laughs> there Definitely. was there was a lot to get through in that, and a lot of quality as well. Well, know? I uh, I hope our listeners agree, and uh, and uh, if you are out there and you you have listened to us, let us let us know what you think. You know, on the I guess on the the uh, the Facebook, the the Coffee and Heroes Facebook, or or on the uh, on the Twitter or something. I love that you call it the Facebook and the Twitter. Come on, I meant I meant the Facebook page. Come on, did, did, did you not watch the social network? Do you not remember the drop the the? It's cleaner. <laughs> Facebook, the Facebook on the internet. <laughs> um, yeah, as I say, I mean, it's uh, we're recording this on the uh, the fifteenth of September. No, we're not. We're recording this on the twenty second of September. Get your dates right, Alan. Uh, so we've still a few weeks to catch up on, but again, we're going to be doing fortnightly for the next couple of shows, and then ultimately end to get back to weekly. So, I mean, as ever, we always just like to have we look around sort of the the entertainment and comics news, if you will. Uh, in the last day or two, uh, we did see the One Division trailer drop. I'm sh- Keith was good enough to watch it just before we uh, we started recording, so it's freshest in your mind. So, what are your thoughts on this one? What's going on there? Uh, <laughs> so it was a, a lovely looking trailer, um, like a combination of uh, uh, I Love Lucy and some weird uh, like identity horror. Uh, I don't know what's what's going on. It, it it certainly has a has a f- a feel of 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 the vision by Tom King uh, in parts because that certainly had a like the the American dream, the perfect nuclear American family, uh, you know, which which took on visions, I guess, real wish to be human rather than a an android. But uh, it seems that it seems that. That well, and obviously the fact that that Vision was decommissioned, died, um, and uh, at the end of Infinity War, you know. So uh, I don't know what's going on there. What do you think? Yeah, same. I haven't having a clue, but I'm really excited. <laughs> I think it looks. I think Marvel are always kind of at their best when they they sort of take a genre and make it their own. They morph it into kind of like a Marvel movie, you know. It's, I'd always say like Winter Soldier is the perfect, you know, political thriller. Guardians of the Galaxy is, you know, the awesome sci-fi movie. But um, yeah, I, I'm not very knowledgeable with either character, but it certainly certainly looks very unique, or not very unique, just unique. I hate when people say that, but mm-hmm. yeah. Sick. You know, it makes me wonder. Uh, Alan had mentioned sort of House of M, but I don't know if that. You know, certainly Scarlet Witch had a 
in, in the comics has a has a background of 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 using her reality warping powers in a very irregular and irresponsible way uh, the whole no more mutants thing and uh, house of m and uh, even more recently um so i don't know is it a case of wanda has used her is this her reality warping powers at, at work to to bring back vision or to to create a, a dream world for him and her to live in or i i just do not i do not know what do you reckon alan has it been confirmed what the time period is for it you know in terms of where it fits in the mcu because I had a theory that maybe this is what Wanda did after Vision died at the end of Infinity War. And this is what she did in those five years. This is how she dealt with her grief. So maybe something like that where she created this alternate reality where he was still alive and Thanos had never come to Earth and, and all this kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's it's really interesting to see. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the Tom Kane Vision run, the Gabriel H. Walter uh, on art so if it's pulling on that, I think that'll be great. I just wonder with House of M, it might be an interesting kind of way of trying to bring in the X-Men in some way to the universe. I, I find it interesting as well that Marvel at the moment seem to, they're throwing a lot of weight behind their TV stuff. The, the movies are a little, I don't want to say murkier with their plans going forward. Obviously, they've been hit by COVID, like, you know, everything in the world. But, you know, Black Widow coming out, that's not going to set up anything really that's set earlier on in the MCU timeline. Eternals we still don't know an awful lot about uh, at this point we have that awesome title of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness but again we don't know much about it but you can see with their TV stuff you know they're they're setting this up in WandaVision you're going to have the Falcon Winter Soldier stuff as well which will deal with the after well I presume will deal with the aftermath of you know Steve leaving being Captain America so it's almost like they're pushing forward with the TV shows and I think they're all going to be really important and really linked to what the overall universe sort of grows into yeah. so i i think i think they kind of they feel like they have to bank on them to tie together you certainly feel that they are putting a lot of stock in them because is is this the first of phase four is it i think we're up not to phase, really yeah are we up to phase five now Jeez, is that, no is that terrible that you don't know there's been we, it's it's a weird well, world you live in when there's been that many marvel movies you're like what i'm the indie guy again? here as if you haven't watched them all yeah. in some cases <laughs> repeatedly like the yeah, rest of the world um, i think it's lining up to be a pretty good uh and end of year tv wise anyway with um certainly on disney plus anyway if if that comes out in december like it's maybe supposed to yeah i think they've announced that it'll definitely be 2020 i think falcon winter soldiers back to 2021 but what one of the reasons i think they're putting so much stock in the show right now shows right now as well is because obviously they're not sure about the theatrical distribution method going forward. They don't know if they're going to be releasing movies in the cinema. But TV is released on streaming services, so they can really focus on that. They know they're going to have a bigger audience maybe than normal because more people are staying at home watching TV shows and streaming services rather than dealing with the big budget movies, so to speak. Yeah, I should say, did you see Mulan did really well? Did really big numbers on Disney Plus in America? Yeah. I heard it was very, very successful. That, so that, yeah, depress, you that depresses the life out of me. I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, Mulan. It, it's I'm not going to jump on my soapbox here like I always do. Okay, I'm a man. <laughs> it, it just I hate that they keep doing You're never these. Off and on. I hate that they keep doing these live action remakes of Disney cartoon movies because they're the laziest form of filmmaking. You're atten- uh-huh. essentially taking the exact script which they perfected in animated form and just going, I'll just stick it yeah. in front of real actors. Tell and me pe- about and it. People are lapping it up. I don't get be, it. 
we watched a bit of um, Beauty and the Beast. It was on TV. It was on TV on Saturday, mm-hmm. and we we were up the north coast staying at a B and B, and we were just getting ready to go out and do something for the night. But um, yeah, it was on TV, and I was just watching it. I was like, this is this is weird, and it's just so un uninspiring, and it feels empty, and it feels like the, they've just lifted CGI backdrops of like another film and just put them in there, you know? Um, I did like the CGI of, you know, uh, the teapot and the clock and all that was pretty good. But um, yeah, just, yeah, I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you, Alan. That's good. I'm glad, yeah, I have this, some, glad I have some company. I'll join you my, on your soapbox. Glad I have some company in the soapbox for a change, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, but like, I, I just worry with, not to go slightly off topic, but I just worry with the likes of Mulan them doing that that suddenly becomes the norm that you can charge £30 or $30 for a movie to watch at home. Because as soon as people accept it once and it becomes successful, they'll do it again and again and again. And I don't know, we might be witnessing the slow burnout of cinemas, unfortunately. Oh, you're just using the same argument that I've been using for uh, for Black Label's premium titles. <laughs> Excuse me? Yeah. You know, as soon as you're willing to pay that amount of money for a slightly bigger book and... We'll do it again and again and again, and that's a little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> just, you're you're getting e- you're getting extra content in those black label books. You're not getting extra content for Mulan that you wouldn't see at the cinema. You know what I mean? You're getting what you would see in the cinema is what you would see here. I just think you like slagging off black label. We've already got you, you know, recorded before this. Going, I'll just go up to my shelf here and. Give him a black label title for this review since it doesn't fit in the comic box with the rest of the normal comics. You know, you know what? This is great. We haven't even been on topic yet to get off topic. That's a very good point. Mm. Anyway, we're going to move on from <laughs> the WandaVision trailer, which was what all of that was about. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a couple of interesting bits and pieces with Marvel this week. It's sort of the timing I thought was quite interesting. We were chatting on our last reviews podcast. I think Keith was reviewing X-Men 11. And we were commenting how Lionel Yu had actually stayed on X-Men all year and had, you know, he maybe had a bit of a reputation in the past of maybe taking a bit longer than the monthly deadlines and so forth. But just as we're saying, he's doing a great job and he's uh, he's hitting the year. He announced that X-Men 12 this week is his last one. So that'll be interesting because that means that he will not be doing the art for the X of Swords issues because they're about to kick off this week as well. So it's... It's interesting seeing him leaving X-Men. He's going to stand through the t- uh, the covers, I believe. But I'm not actually sure who the artist taking over is, I must admit. I'll be curious if it's Pepe Larraz who is doing yeah. um, X of Swords. It's a, it's a tough mm. one. It's like it's a huge commitment, you know, for an art. Like, obviously, working as an artist in comics is a lot different than working as a writer. And I'm sure it's, especially with those Marvel deadlines with X-Men, it must be tough going for him. So... But yeah, hopefully, you know, maybe cover work ends up being a bit more fulfilling, I don't know, or maybe there's some some things we don't really know about in terms of that commitment to, was it 12 issues he did? Yeah, he did the first 12, yeah. so he, he, he took a full year at it, but I should say at this point, there's no need to panic, especially if you're a Marvel fan, Keith. Mahmoud Azrar's taken over. What did a decent Landed. did a decent enough job on Conan, I think. So you know, oh, uh, okay, that's more, more than decent. Yeah, that's <laughs> there we go. It's interesting. That Fantastic, it's com- Alan. Interesting that it's coming into a storyline called X of Swords, and you're bringing an artist across who's so proficient in swordplay. And 
uh, Conan and so forth. So uh-huh, yeah. that's that's not a bad replacement at all, actually. So yeah, you can forget about all this news story. It's not even a story. Uh, <laughs> but what I did find interesting to be a story is news that Mark Wade is coming back to DC. Uh, these death metal tie-ins seem to be attracting a wealth of talent uh, to them. I mean, we we obviously broke that exclusive a few months ago with Chip Zdarsky coming across the, the work at DC, for example. And Mark Wade, he was a DC stalwart for, for years. And then, I'm not sure, you don't know any of the history, do you, Keith, why he actually stepped away? All I could find out was he essentially signed an exclusive contract with Marvel, but I'm not sure if there was any sort of reason given why he left DC or... I, I'm i not sure at all, Alan. I mean, I guess at, at the time, it wasn't entirely abnormal for, for writers to, to do runs at one or the other or sometimes both mm-hmm. um, at the same time. So, uh, so no, I'm not, I'm not sure if it was just a case of he'd, he'd done what he needed to do at DC and, and away he went. Um, or, or if he, he did start on Marvel with Fantastic Four with uh, Mark uh, Waringo back in, I think it was 2002, wasn't it? Um, so I mean, it, the Fantastic Four is a great way to to be attracted to to Marvel if you're going to get to write Marvel's first family. But uh, he was also um, involved in Age of Apocalypse as well, uh, much earlier than that, and then Captain America. So uh, I think he backed and forth a bit yeah. you know, over the years. Whether it was a case of maybe just as the rivalry between the two companies got more and more enhanced, that's when they started rolling out the exclusive contracts. Maybe it was a case of you know, they were a lot more liberal in the past, maybe, with just letting people go between both, I suppose. But, but yeah, I mean, Mark Wade, he's, he's responsible, you know, for one of my all-time favorite stories, which was Kingdom Come at DC, along with Alex mm-hmm. Ross. But equally, you know, I, I talk about all the time, my favorite Daredevil run is Mark Wade as well. So he's, he's just one of those great writers. And I'll be curious to see if this is a gateway to him maybe coming back to DC in, in one form or another. I mean, what is he writing with Marvel at the moment? Because he was doing the Doctor Strange ones, wasn't wow. he? Which have both come to he, an end. He he wrote that fantastic um, Invisible Woman miniseries oh, yeah. earlier on, and the yeah, that, that was, was that was great. So uh, there was that. He uh, he co-created the Champions for Marvel, and uh, he was on, as you say, he was on Doctor Strange and and a, a few other bits. Um, uh, so I don't. Uh, I mean, he 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 was on that. I um, did that uh, Marvel history last year as well. The, oh, the other history the, of the Marvel uh, Universe, yeah, yeah. History of the Marvel Universe, yeah. So, uh, and and of course, most recently he was on on Doctor Strange, unless maybe just that cancellation of Doctor Strange is <laughs> was was what he needed. The push that he needed. Not one, but two cancellations of Doctor Strange. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they reboot. So. Sorcerer Supreme and Surgeon Supreme, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. So he has been on on Doctor Strange, and uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe the possibility of just writing another history of the or sorry, the history of the Marvel Universe. Maybe that was pretty definitive for him, and in a weird way, he had had sort of covered the whole Marvel Universe. Maybe it was a case of don't have much more to say at this point. That's yeah, pretty definitive place to leave it. But he is currently writing, I should say, Fantastic Four Antithesis, and I thought the first issue of that with Neil Adams was pretty great. So, but yeah, I'll be really curious to see what he does at DC. I mean, he's he's been brought in to write a story in the last stories of the DC universe. 
which is a, a death metal tie-in, but I wonder if that'll maybe lead to something else. But we'll keep an eye open. We we have no idea what the future holds for DC Comics at the moment, so <laughs> we're sort of waiting in some sort of definitive announcement or you know a concrete direction of what they're doing. You know, certainly after metal, so we'll we'll see where it goes from there. Um, one other thing I suppose was worth maybe mentioning was just that the first ever virtual Emmy Awards took place recently. And normally it's not something I would care an awful lot about, but it was wonderful to see Watchmen get a lot of recognition, win and pick up a lot of awards, picked up sort of Best Limited Series, it picked up the Best Actor and Actress Awards for that, it got Best Scripts, I think, as well, for Damon Lindelof and so forth, so I think that was well, something we all really enjoyed. Yeah, well-deserved, well-deserved wins there, for sure. Um, I think it's definitely worth another wee rewatch. I think Keith and I were chatting about it in the store maybe last week, because... Tom Keen has said that Rorschach is going to tie into the 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 uh, the TV universe as well. So I think that uh, really? as if we need an excuse for a rewatch, I think that might just be the one. Mm-hmm. That's Could a, be it. That sounded like a very disbelieving, really, Roddy. <laughs> I'll say no more. That was a real, um, really. Tell you, tell you what I did start, which reminded me of Watchmen a wee bit, Lovecraft uh, County Been watching it, yeah. Yeah, uh... I, got, I just got the first episode the other day. Um, yeah. There, there's some Watchmen vibes there, so I wouldn't be too surprised if that's uh, a contender next season. But yeah, I'm digging is it. it. Uh, is it an HBO show or an AMC show? I think it's AMC. Uh, I think it's AMC. But uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely uh, I'm up to date with it. I think maybe I'm I'm short one episode, but yeah, really enjoying it. Um, really enjoying the sort of the the overtones of it. Um, and the the backdrop of it seems to be something of a of a nearly a compilation show mm-hmm. uh similar you know same characters or same group of characters but uh yeah really really enjoy these first i think it's four or five episodes that i've watched yeah and i mean as a huge lovecraft fan anyway even just those sort of sideways links to it are, mm-hmm. are kind of cool yeah out of curiosity is it lovecraft county or lovecraft country I yes thought, i thought it was country I think it's country. But yeah. you, you, you've confused me now, Roddy. Though. Indeed, Lovecraft County, down. <laughs> Lovecraft country. Yeah, my uh, apologies. That would be that would be quite the tie-in to Lovecraft County, down. Lovely. Here, that, that is the, that is the comic tie-in that needs to be written. That is gold. We didn't even. It was the one we didn't even know we needed, but now we do. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, that was just sort of a few of the bits and pieces that sort of caught eye, our eye over the last week. I suppose one last thing just to throw in before jumping into the reviews is the the new previews book arrived this week and that is going to be for the titles coming out in December and we'll obviously have a podcast coming soon with uh, our picks from that. Holy moly boys, those books are stacked. All I'm sure three they are. All three of them are stacked. It's almost <laughs> like it's the gift giving month or something like that. I don't use the C word, but it's the gift giving month, you know. So Uh-huh. So what have we got? Have we got what endless endless winter for DC and uh, King and Black for Marvel? You've got those bad boys there. You've got more tales from the dark multiverse stuff with DC. Batcat finally got uh, a, a concrete date as well. You've got geez, I, I only have to look at a couple of our regulars pull lists for what they uh, they've thrown in here. Yes. But the unions, Sean Phillips and Brubaker as well. Reckless, yeah, can't wait for that. Like even trade wise, die volume threes out in December, for example. There was one as well that uh, got Vicky very, very excited, uh, right to the point where she chatted away to Tom Taylor 
him again on Twitter, but they're putting together a big omnibus of his all-new Wolverine run as well, which is coming out. There's just so much good stuff in that December book, so that's uh, definitely keep an eye out for that previews podcast, which will be coming up soon as well. So, cool. Well, we will leave it there, and we will enter the realm of spoilers. See how good I am remembering this time? <laughs> good for you, Alan. <laughs> It only took me two years. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be comics reviews time now. So yeah, we're going to focus, as I was saying, on releases from the 2nd of September and the 9th of September. So we collated everything together. In terms of uh, numbers, for myself, I had 46 titles uh, over these two weeks. Uh, that's 20 DC. I had 10 Marvel and then 16 Indie. How about yourself, Roddy? What were your numbers um bit of a slim slim couple of weeks for me i actually had 10 books one dc one marvel and eight indie so yeah nothing compared to you guys well, a discerning reader uh 36 for me <laughs> um i've got seven dc 17 marvel uh 11 indie and one trade paperback that alan was kind enough to get me on back order uh, it was Hillbilly Volume 1 by Eric Powell, and it was fantastic. Seriously? Oh, yeah, class. it lived up to the uh, to that we that we sniff that I got in the free comic book day uh, issue that uh, I think I reviewed last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the first uh, the first trade was was just as fantastic. So uh, looking forward to the rest arriving, so I can really dive in there. So uh, and they'll be coming your way as well, Roddy, because oh, I think you'd, I think you'd really awesome. enjoy them. I think you'd really enjoy them. So- what we'll do is we are going to go through each week. We've got our pick of the week from those weeks and then also some honourable mentions as well. Uh, it's going to be myself kicking things off. I'm actually going to... I can't believe it, but my two picks of these two weeks, not one of them is DC. And neither of them are Marvel either. Two indie books for me were the two standouts. So starting with the 2nd of September. Uh, this was a book that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed and I need to throw you guys my copy because... I don't think you guys are on this, but hopefully I'll be able to talk you into it slightly here. But this was a book from Aftershock Comics, and we have been talking about how Aftershock have been really up in their game recently. There's been some really good stuff coming through there. And this was one that really struck a a chord with me. This is called Lonely Receiver, uh, issue one. I believe it's going to be a five-issue miniseries. Pardon me. So the writer on this one is Zach Thompson. Art by Jen Hickman and letterer is Simon Boland. So what a debut issue this was and a very timely comic, I think. You know, it's it's essentially about the world's reliance on mobile technology. Uh, so Lonely Receiver tells the story of Katrin. So she's the main character and she's very lonely. And her cure for this is to create a romantic partner through a company that designs artificial intelligence. She can then basically almost design that person like you would an avatar in a computer game. She can pick their personality quirks. She can pick what they look like. She can pick what sex it is. And she creates Rion. And down to the smallest details, she's able to ensure that this is the perfect partner in every way. The end credits roll. Well, not quite. What happens if that AI then suddenly evolves and this thing that you created that you thought is your perfect partner and will always be there for you suddenly starts getting a little bored with you you know they fall out of love with you and even though you created it you know you never accepted this would even be a possibility you would have thought this was you know made it for life so to speak it's a really really clever concept you know it explores themes such as you know our over-reliance on technology 
you know, mobile phones and tablets, you know, are essential. They're essentials these days. Let's be honest. They're they're no longer wants. They're needs. People. They're an extension of people these days, um, and especially when it comes down to social media and so forth as well. You know, this this was an issue that really made me think about like how we act on social media. It's almost at a point now, and maybe this is again me jumping on a wee soapbox here, but this is just the kind of things this issue brought out in me. But it's almost like it was shining a light on how. Like, if you share something on social media these days, if you get 20 likes for that, you almost see that as more validating than if a close friend gave you a compliment. You know, that these strangers sort of accepted you or liked your, you know, comment or shared it, that kind of thing. And, you know, you you spend more time on your phone these days than you do with your real friends. You know, you think about checking through your social media feeds. You think about playing games on your phone. You think about listening to podcasts. Oh, sorry. Maybe I shouldn't have said that part. Um, but Lonely Receiver, for me, it's all about taking in this idea of a relationship with your mobile phone, but taking it one step further to a point where you've created this AI who will actually live and talk back to you and so forth. Um, just a really, really clever title, but also a really eerie title. You know, there's so many elements of horror to this. You know, the artwork by Jen Hickman just really gets under your skin. I mean, even the, the title of the first issue is I'm the maker of my own evil. Uh, you know, it jumps about with different timelines. and It's just a thoroughly, thoroughly wonderful book. And there's this really eerie scene just early on where you can actually see her creating this avatar and it's being built right in front of her. And, you know, she's kissing it just as it's being built and so forth. And then, you know, the next scene is them lying in bed together and all is right with the world. And then it's that suspicion that starts with, you know people that you're close to and all this kind of stuff just honestly i i really really dug this title um sort of came out of nowhere to be honest it was just i always order in number ones for the store i don't mm-hmm. always read up on them i'll just give you know it's, it's probably one of the reasons my pull list is always so big but i'll always give any number one a go and i just thought this was amazing and it basically at its bottom its bottom line is it's all about what happens if your phone broke up with you but moves it into the realm of sci-fi and horror and body horror. Brilliant, brilliant first issue. I, I really recommend to you guys. I'll happily throw wow. my copy. It just it really stuck with me. And I couldn't... There's there's no other comic I could say it's like. You know what I mean? You know how I will normally recommend something and say it evokes you know, this title or that title. This was really unique. It was actually one of the best first issues this year, I think. Really, uh, have, really you, great. have you ever seen the movie Her? I know of it. That's the Joaquin Phoenix one, isn't it? Yeah um you uh you talking about it kind of reminded me a little of it and these are these are all issues that i kind of think about on a daily basis like if i look at my phone too much i'm like oh man like um i'll just i try to pick up my book and like read more of it just to distract myself yeah um i don't have any social media or i don't look at any social media i think i still have it i still have facebook and all but i'm trying to trying to go a bit more analog. So those are all kind of issues that I'm interested in. And um, Zach Thompson is co-writer of Undone by Blood, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And a few other things too. So oh, Aftershock, absolutely killing it. Um, yeah, I would I would be up for a bit of that, Alan. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you don't have any spare copies though, do you? Oh, I'll happily throw you mine just to, to get, you, get you guys reading it. But just honestly, it just it struck a chord with me. And I've been trying to talk to plenty of people in the store about it and there might be one left in the shelf i'm not sure but i just keep trying to recommend to people and say look <laughs> this is an example of a comic that'll make you think you know it's 
like like comics at their base level sometimes they are just you know baseline escapism 15 20 minutes whatever it takes you to read one where you just forget about the outside world and it can sometimes be a bit of a disposable pleasure but sometimes you get ones that really make you think and really make you you know look at the world and how it is these days and you know it's Again, it's probably a sign of getting old and so forth, but you know, you, you can remember the days where you didn't have a mobile phone and it's not like your life was any poorer th- than it is now. And I'm like you, Roddy, there's times I pull my phone out in public and I just think, why did I even pull this out? You know, it, it's become mm-hmm. a habit so much, you know? It, uh, it sounds, Alan, like uh, like a, an episode of Black Mirror. Yeah, uh... there's a lot of comparisons to that in terms of like reviews and so forth I've read. I've never watched Black Mirror, so I'm... It's a great. It's a great. I think yeah. I think you should. I think you'd enjoy it. But uh, and like you guys, I don't know if it's if it's because of the uh, because of the the relative edge of us, maybe or uh, but certainly there is a there's a a small section of a of a generation that were that grew up with an analog childhood and had to adopt to a, a digital adulthood, which I sort of fall right into the middle of. And uh, I was watching. I was watching a Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma the other day. Um, Roddy, this would definitely be right up your street. It's part documentary and part um, there's a wee dramatization through it. Um, All right. Okay. Which is uh, which is, is very very good, and it's about that. It's about how uh, you know social media is is effectively engineered to be addictive. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and to to on a, on a real deep seated human psychological level. To give you that dopamine hit whenever you get a no- notification, and you know, and how these these people who are about it's about human technology, and about how these people who are working for email companies are are they're they're designing things that are addictive, that are designed to keep your attention, and the idea that if you're getting something for free, you know, if you're not paying for a product, then you are the product, then your attention is the product, and that's what's that's what's being sold to advertisers. Yeah, uh, you know, scary, it's really bright scary. and stuff. Frightening. Because, um, like yours, not to go off on a crazy tangent, we'll maybe tie it back to Lonely Receiver. But I think uh, when we sort of transitioned to that digital age, it was an exciting thing, and it was the technology was there for good. And to see what it's become is kind of horrifying, to be honest. And yeah, I'm sure yeah, Lonely Receiver kind of touches a little bit on that. Yeah, I mean, I how, think there's... how it can all go wrong. I think there's something to be said for uh, even the likes of your 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 feeds, you know, your uh, your social media feeds, which I you know you're 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 saying that you're you're winning yourself off, Roddy. But the fact that every every feed that you the feed that I see is different from the feed that you see, you know what I mean? Because of whatever algorithms and this and that and the other, they're constantly A B testing you and figuring out what keeps your attention more, and that just separates it further and further and further and we get further from what the actual truth is because we're caught in these wee bubbles and whenever you, you don't recognize truth anymore, you just, you can't, you can't communicate with people. You can't agree with people or, you know, it's, it's nuts. But, uh, yeah, that, yeah, this conversation has really got me into the, the <laughs> mind of, of reading that, Alan. <laughs> I will happily pass it around you guys. But you know, yeah, I, I, I just thought, didn't remind me of anything else. It, I was slightly worried there when I said, oh, it reminds me of nothing else. And straight away, Roddy's like, well, have you seen this movie called Her? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think from what from what I understand with Her, it's sort of a a dark examination of sort of human loneliness, isn't it? 
but it's not yeah. really horror, is it? I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I haven't seen it. It's Spike Jones, no, isn't it? not not to that extent. Yeah, there, I'm sure there's like elements of it, but not not like an actual horror film. No. Yeah, I mean that's the thing with Lonely Receiver. It really goes into the dark sort of body horror. It's like the kind of thing you could imagine John Carpenter enjoying. You know, if mm-hmm. you think of stuff like oh. they live and things like that. Um, but yeah, no, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it, guys. I'll I'll drop it down to the store tomorrow, and then you can you know, pass around yourselves, but just thought it was really, really great, really timely given the world we're living in right now and we're, you know, of course, we're even utilizing technology just to record this over the internet and so forth, you know, that you can't, <laughs> yeah. you can't go a day these days without utilizing technology one way or another. And you, and you mm. do it, as you say now, you, you say it used to be exciting, you do it, now without even thinking about it, it's just, it's the norm, you know, mm. so, but yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it, guys. Um, even if you missed out in issue one, it's it's just going to be a five issue trade, uh, five issue mini series, as I say, and which will make a great great trade. So keep an eye out for aftershock coming up. I think they're really delivering some really solid titles at the moment. So uh, that was my pick from the second of September. So we'll move on to yourself, Roddy. Hopefully you can give us something a little more upbeat after that rather uh, <laughs> intense conversation right there. Uh, what have you got for second of September? Yeah, so my pick for the 2nd of September is Firepower number 3 by Robert Kirkman, Chris Samney, Matt Wilson on colours, Russ Wooten, the letterer. Um, So yeah, we talked about number 2 last month in our epic uh, three and a half hour pod. Um, Absolutely loved that one. That was uh, action-packed sort of uh old school you know we talked about our childhoods this absolute love letter to iron fist karate kid blood sport all that good stuff this one if that was the action set piece this is like the come down of it i really really enjoyed this one because um in the first issue it weaves and even in the you know the original prelude graphic novel it weaves this family life in with this action film this domestic living family um I, I absolutely just adored this it it felt like i i have known these characters so well i know the ins yeah. and outs of their life but it's three issues it's only three it's, issues uh, it like you know and it, it, it's not i mean i really feel like i know i know owen because you know we spent the original graphic novel with him before the series yeah. began you know but but even as uh, even as family as wife kelly and his kids you know uh, I I really yeah I, I totally agree with you. I think they're doing a fantastic job of this. Yeah, and this I I love this one because it's just um it really captures everything about it captures like this mundane part of his life that he had he aspired for after you know he learned he has the firepower but he this is the life he wants and he's running away from. You know his that other side of his life where he has the responsibility of wielding the firepower. Um, but yeah, it's, it sort of starts off with an everyday family life. Owen's got his dog, and he's like, the dog's taking a big dump, and he's like, oh god, don't make eye contact. <laughs> it goes from there. It's just, it's just like, it's a beautiful series of really nice little family moments. Um, there's moments between Kelly and her partner as well, and it just it builds up, and we get a bit more of. Owen at his job and oh there was um he's sort of talking with his daughter in the car about climate change being the most important 
the most important thing and we sort of continue on with um owen's training his kids a wee bit which we saw in the first issue but then we get we get some flashbacks to the prelude which i thought was really nice um, interesting though roddy sorry to interrupt you no no these aren't flashbacks to the prelude this is this is a story that took place these flashbacks took place after the prelude so oh, yes, the, yeah. yeah so so it's it's certainly flashbacks to 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 that sort of time period but this these flashbacks didn't take place in the prelude this is something that happened afterwards yeah uh they, they must have been another attack by the scorched earth clan and uh you know the the, the truth of of uh what do you call him Choi uh i've forgotten his name uh the guy who's taken over now that uh the clan now that uh Wei Lun has left uh and all and, the, and all of that you know the guy who um who Owen suspects of of uh having killed his uh his lover um you know so uh uh so yeah sorry uh, yeah but I just I think it's I think it's probably no, critical no, to right. understand that 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 isn't what happened in it's the prelude different, yeah yeah um yeah um it was fantastic and then there's a bit more training uh, within the family I really enjoyed that but then sort of towards the end it just takes like a little shift just a little tonal shift where it goes we get that foreboding again and we're like okay we're ramping up to number four um, so yeah um, we see uh, what's what you call the guy uh, sent to search for Owen uh, Ma- Ma- Ma Guang Ma Guang and yeah, so he sort of he sort of appears, and yeah, really really enjoyed this issue. And then we see, is it he that goes back to to China? And then yeah, yeah, he goes back to the to the temple. Man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's like, he asks him, "Is there anything else to report?" And he basically says he's failed, and he's going to go back. But we're we're introduced to a little group at the end, which is, I think, and how cool do they all look? Yeah, the they, I guess they're they're scorched earth mercenaries or something, but they're like a like a ninja super team, you know? They're yeah. uh, and and they're uh, and they're they're going they're going to St. Louis to kill Owen. Uh, that seems to be the that seems to be the uh, the final analysis there, but. There's a couple of interesting wee bits that I loved, Roddy. The I, I totally agree with you. I think I think what Kirkman's doing, developing developing the characters, developing uh, Owen's life, uh, is fantastic. We're we're meeting his business partner. We're we're seeing a wee bit more about his kids. And actually, uh, Kirkman says whenever <laughs> whenever uh, Haley's uh, talking about climate change and it affecting us all. Uh, Kirkman's been saying that he actually he actually overstayed he, he didn't want to make Haley the, the daughter seem quite as teenage angsty as she seems <laughs> you know and he, he wants to dial back a wee bit on that but but yeah seeing as seeing Owen's daily life but then also seeing just the casual way that he takes his lunch you know when he looks around him and then he just hops over the seven foot fence you know and there's a there's a scene of him climbing a ladder that is at a slight angle and he's just He's not bracing himself with his hands. He's just climbing up with his feet. And I just thought, wow, this is class. Just that, the casual the casual skill that he has, you know. Um, but in addition to the flashback, then there, there's a lovely scene with uh, Kelly and her partner, uh, you know, and it's you're just seeing how effective she is as a cop. 
you know, I mean, and and you're also seeing that clearly her and Owen have trained together before, you know, whether that's Owen teaching her or. So I'm really looking forward to finding out a wee bit more about that history, you know, the history of them training together, whether that, you know, and how they met. It's um, like I think she she knows a lot, but not everything, maybe. I that's think my you, kind of thinking. I think you could be right there. I think, I, yeah, I think you could be right. The training of the kids is is great and uh you know then Owen being distracted by the butterfly which of course uh reminds him of his time back in the temple and his his uh his lover back there but but then that that realization that kelly's partner is working alongside uh waylon mm-hmm. the uh the former the former uh uh senpai the former sensei of the uh of the the clan, you know, the Dragon Clan, and uh, who apparently is now a member of the Scorched Earth Clan. It's uh, yeah, it's it's, it's there's a, there's a big story building here, and I'm I'm loving the I'm loving the so slow speed at which at which he's Kirkman is unfolding it. Yeah, and Samney's art is just gorgeous, and then Matt Wilson, I think Matt Wilson really shone in this one because it's his colors that maybe give you that little nice americana vibe for a little a little portion of it but then they also they do really well with the flashbacks there's the beautiful um ah can't remember the name of the tree at the moment it'll come it'll come to me (laughs) um but yeah just absolutely beautiful beautiful looking book and it's gonna it's only gonna get better yeah Um, have you been reading it alan Oh yeah, I mean, I'm convinced the fire power is going to make its way into our podcast every single issue, because <laughs> every single issue has been chatted about so far, and every single issue will continue to be talked about. Yeah, just brilliant, brilliant title, just full of energy, full of great characters. I'm a big fan of Chris Samney's art anyway, you know, you you could have him just drawing two characters sitting in a room talking, I'd still find it interesting, so... And Kirkman, you know, there's there's no better world builder, I would say, in comics these days than Kirkman. And sheer variety of ideas as well. You know, this is not like any of his previous work whatsoever. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it bears no resemblance to Walking Dead, to Die, 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 to Oblivion Song, to, you know... Uh... Well, that's it. I mean, I'm sure for years, you know, Kirkman was probably referred to as that zombie guy. Because it was Marvel mm-hmm. Zombies and it was The Walking Dead and... I think he's almost been trying to prove the last couple of years. He's like, no, no, there's, there's more to me than just that. Mm-hmm. And not only that, he's he's probably been known more as a horror writer. You know, he had Outcast as well, which was to do with sort of demonic possession and so forth. So it's great to see a book like this. And just as I was talking there about Lonely Receiver being a, a title that makes you think and sticks with you and all the rest, this is the polar opposite. This is pure escapism. This is pure four-color joy sort of thing, you know, but really well told. So uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm loving Firepower so far, and it's very popular in store as well. So. No, I think it's a, I think I saw issue three sold out as well. So obviously not quite the big print run of like a number one or number two, but um, I think it's doing yeah, it's doing gangbusters, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, cool. So that is Roddy's pick then, second of September, Firepower number three. Stay tuned for the next podcast when Firepower number four comes out, and <laughs> guess who will pick it then? Um, well, it looks like the second of September is a clean sweep for Indy. What do you got, Keith? Uh, that's exactly right. I've got a, a Boom Studios title. Uh, it's a number one, and whenever you say 
Kirkman is the master of uh, of world building. I've got an argument here for you because uh, Al Ewing does a fairly good job himself. Um, uh, Al Ewing, who we know from uh, Immortal Hulk, uh, just to choose his, his, his biggest title probably, um, has uh, has teamed up with uh, Simone DeMeo to produce number one of this absolutely beautiful and completely fascinating book called We Only Find Them When They're Dead, uh, which the reference becomes clear fairly sharpishly. But uh, anybody else on this? Just me or nope. anybody everybody else pick it up? On it as well. Ronnie? No, I didn't. Well, Keith, Keith is about to sell I it to you. I find it out late. <laughs> yeah, well, that's ex- that's exactly right. Now, Al Ewing has done a, a great job on the on the, the books that he's that he's turned his turned his eye to, you know. And this is this is one of his his own concepts, I get. So, so the story starts in twenty three twenty three uh, on the ship, a ship called the Viham, and uh, it's an autopsy ship with a crew of four. And uh, there's a there's a kid uh, who has been told a story by his mother as the as this fleet of ships moves out towards an unknown and as yet unknown destination. And it's all about how you know the asteroids. These these people are obviously career miners. The asteroids, so the asteroid belt, the asteroid fields are all mined out. Um, you know, and and they they were pushing further and further out into the solar system, out into the galaxy. You know the, the the old mining ways were were dying. The old the old mining ships were dying. There was nothing, there was nothing could be done. That you know, and then and then his mother says, and then they came to save to save us, um, and uh, and the uh, the kid looks out the window, and she says, do you do you see it, George? And uh, and the kid looks out the window and he says, mother, why isn't it moving? And then, of course, we have one of those lovely big splash pages we've come to uh, we've come to enjoy from uh, something is killing the children. Why isn't it moving? Because we we only find them when they're dead. And they're talking about uh, these the corpses of these giant celestial space gods that that float around the cosmos, presumably. Now, there's a lot of questions left unanswered in this book. In the first issue, as you as you would hope, um, but there's an awful lot of concepts introduced. So, so we pick up immediately. Uh, this is book one. It's called The Seeker, and issue one is called Eight Bells, All's Well. And it picks up again. Uh, it started in 2023 when uh, when uh, Georges Malik uh, was was a young boy, and it picks up in 2367. Uh, and he's a much older man who actually resembles Ulysses 31, Roddy. Uh, you know, from the, the Ulysses 31 cartoon. Yeah, absolutely. So Sign me up. <laughs> so he's piloting a ship called the, the Vahan 2. Uh, I guess it's either a, a new model or an upgraded version of the ship that he was on as a child. It also is an autopsy crew of four. And uh, we meet uh, we meet uh, George Malik, uh, the captain. We meet Ella Heyer, the coroner. Alice Worth, the quartermaster, and Jason Howard, uh, brother of Ella, who is the engineer, or maybe husband, I'm not sure. Um, and uh, they're, you, you really start to, to get to, to know these characters and their roles, um, you know, and they're, they're, they're part of a, a fleet that is, that is uh, that one of these space gods, these floating space gods has been located, and they're part of a fleet that is going out to, to claim and, uh, and harvest the god for the, for the, the, the parts that are valuable which is everything they they, they 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 cut this thing apart 
and and sell its fluids and sell its flesh. Um, you know, it's like they're nearly like they're nearly like Galactus, and the particular one that we see is is a a beautiful looking woman. You know, massive, massive, but but floating through space, and they begin then to they begin then to claim various sectors of the corpse and uh, and cut it up. So. Uh, do you not, do you really... not find that that's almost an inverse Galactus? Because Galactus devours planets, but the humans are actually devouring the god. Yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting. Um, so yeah, the, uh, the you know this this continues. There's 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 squabbles ongoing. There's a, there's there's clearly a system here. Um, there's clearly a system here because there are uh, escort ships. Who police the whole thing? They police claims, and if someone tries to make a claim without, uh, you know, proper the proper process, then they're they can be seized, their ship can be seized, or whatever. And there's there seems to be a wee bit of corporate intrigue going on as well. Uh, there's a bit of a history between uh, Paula Richter, who's the officer on duty, and uh, George, and in the end up, he kind of gets screwed over a bit. Uh, so anyway, um, there you see the whole process, the mining process of the god. And then uh, they, they, once their holes are filled, they move away into warp. And then they've got two minutes in warp when they can speak openly. Because apparently all of the other times, when it, whenever they're not in warp, the ship has ears. Clearly, the escorts can can uh, can break into the feeds in the ship and hear what's being said. So there can be no plotting. But effectively, George has a plot to, to be the first... Uh, to be the first to to find a live god, one of these live space gods. It says, uh, "I was five years old when I saw my first dead god. In three days' time, we'll see a live one." Uh, so it really is. I mean, I, I don't want to oversell the book, but the concept is it's a real high concept. Like it's a real deep concept. And I, I, I mean, I know Al Ewing's not going to shy away from those absolutely not but the way it's the way it's done is phenomenal the the way we're introduced to the characters and you know because there's a lot of books you're inter- introduced to or you're, you read and you're not you don't get a handle on the characters and you have to go back and forth but you're introduced very quickly to who these people are what their names what they look like what their jobs are and that's a really good way to grab on the art is absolutely phenomenal i think uh, uh simone de, de Mayo was on uh, power rangers at a time it was Power Rangers TMNT. I think it was a crossover. Okay. Um, and also is being lined up to do. There's a new Champion series which is debuting in November for Marvel, mm-hmm. and they're the artist for it as well. So, some interesting stuff there. So, but yeah, um, yeah, played a massive. Uh, was was the main artist on Mighty Morphin TMNT, which was actually the top selling boom okay. series every month it was out. There you are. So, I mean, I, I mean, you talk about world building. This is this is twenty seven pages of, you know, it, it leaves you wanting. It obviously leaves you wanting. It has to. It's the first issue. It's got a cliffhanger. It, it's introducing the core concept, but it gives you the foundation of this, uh, this fantastic. I won't say a world because there's no. It's not set on a world, but uh, just this framework for the for this fiction set. You know, against in the backdrop of of space, and you know, just the your the, the different factions and the crewmates and how they think and you know what the the, the currency of the world is it's 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 i think it's going to be real hard science fiction you know it's they really they really do something great in a number of in a, in a small number of pages and the designs and the 
the art is just beautiful. Um, you know, the the uh, the, the colors are uh, are absolutely absolutely fabulous. Um, by uh, Maria Sara Miodi, who I don't know. Um, but uh, just really, really, really fantastic, and the the illustration even of that dark that that dead god floating in the stars is is incredible. So, uh, fantastic yeah. first issue, uh, great new great new epic. I hope, great writing, great artwork. Um, I would say this is going to be up there for for twenty twenty if if the quality stays that high. What do you reckon, Alan? I mean, I I enjoyed it. I think it was very much a world building first issue obviously there's a lot of moving parts as you say i was not left slightly cold by it in the end but it was just a case of just as it was getting going i thought it ended you know hence the joy of a you know length of a single issue of comic but no it's it's something i will 100 percent stick with i think the world being built there is really interesting the art for me is the standout so far the art was you know, it's it's sometimes hard to convey scale on a comic page, but see that double page spread you were talking about of that, you know, dead god floating in space, like that was genuinely breathtaking. Just you turn the page, I think just before it, it was all quite close in, almost claustrophobic yeah. art, you know, these small spaces in these ships, and then boom, you turn the page, you know, it was just epic in scale. So, yeah, another, another big seller at the store, I think a lot of people are just jumping on anything boom are starting to put out there i think al ewing is certainly a trusted name in comics at the moment as well and again it's good to see him doing something different as well i mean immortal hulk which as you say is easily his biggest hit that's you know pretty much pure out horror whereas this is sci-fi and uh yeah i'm i'm digging it don't get me wrong I'm, that maybe sounded negative about the first issue but just i'm looking forward to more let's just put it like that i would say so and Roddy will get you on this as well within Baba three issues, I'd say. Look forward to picking up a copy. <laughs> Sounds right up my my right up my street. I think so, Roddy. Been on the, been on the lookout for some hard sci-fi, to be honest. You know, mm. like after after that Dune trailer, I'm looking for some high concept uh, goodness. <laughs> well, this could be this could this could be for you, Roddy. I Tweet. think I think it most definitely would be um cool so that was keith's pick of the week for 2nd of september which is we only find them when they're dead number one so yeah we'll we'll take a quick uh shot through some honorable mentions for the 2nd of september as well it's quite interesting you know with this it's it's pretty even the way it's sort of split dc wise certainly the thing some of the things i enjoyed i thought batman 98 was exceptionally strong i think this was the sort of calm before the storm issue this was the Bruce doubting himself and almost needing a little bit of a pep talk before he's able to embrace what he needs to do. You know, Bruce in this issue is sort of stuck in this fever dream almost as Harley and Punchline are battling away. And Bruce's fever dream takes the form of a conversation with Alfred. I thought this was a really clever way of bringing Alfred into Batman, but still sort of respecting the the story continuity of Alfred unfortunately dying during City of Being. And I mean, let's not forget that uh, that Bruce during City of Being never had a chance to say goodbye to Alfred. Exactly. I mean, you know he, what I mean? he was so... out of the country when he died. And, you know, this this conversation, it, it hit all the right sweet spots. So it did. It, uh, and it also led to one of the great page turns, just as I'm talking about that great page <laughs> turn, and we only find them when they're dead. But you've got this great part where, you know, 
Alfred is giving him the pep talk here. Bruce is talking about how he failed and all this kind of stuff. And then Alfred is saying, my boy, this is you doing it without me. I am only a voice in your head telling you what you need to hear to steady yourself and do what needs to be done. You don't need me on the other end of the bath computer to know exactly what I'd tell you in any circumstance. So wake up, my boy. Tell the city who you are. And you turn the page. And there's just this amazing bit of art from Jorge Jimenez where you know Bruce is set up. And even Punchline is like, but hi, that's not possible. And it's just a great take on the idea of I'm Batman, and it's just brilliant. So it is. Uh, <laughs> it's very, uh, yeah, the uh, the stylized word Batman written inside the the shadow of his wings. It's as he as he punches and punchline. Fantastic, it really is. Yeah, I think I think uh, art wise, I think Jorge Jimenez is really grasping both hands around Batman as well at the moment. You know, he he sees this as his opportunity to draw one of DC's biggest titles and he is knocking it out of the park every issue. It's fast paced, it's kinetic, it's colourful, it's he's very, very good at facial expressions, I think, um, as well. So yeah, just really digging Batman ninety eight at the moment and you will certainly hear a lot more of Batman when it comes to ninety nine because that might be a future pick of the week, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Very, very good stuff, yeah. Tinian is Tinian is killing it. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent on that. Uh, what else was good? I thought Hellblazer Rise and Fall number one, despite being silly size, Keith, was yeah, I, pretty fantastic. I, it, it, uh, it, it it's it's a, a it's a better pill to take, obviously, with uh, size barriers. Hellblazer getting cancelled, and uh, I think this is a different a different take on it. Uh, Tom Taylor, obviously fantastic but i just i feel like he's telling a different story he's telling nearly like an origin type story or an early story of mm-hmm. uh of uh of hellblazer um of john constantine uh, I'm, i was very invested in in size barriers hellblazer so, so certainly that uh would have been a thing i don't necessarily and we, we talked about this alan i don't necessarily know that uh Derek robertson's art needs the large format um if it makes a terrible a terrible difference to him because there's an awful lot of uh not a lot of detail if you know what i mean um, yeah, i mean well, yeah yeah his, his style's not any different to how he was doing the boys for example i we've talked about it before and touched on it before i i'm convinced the artist must just be given the choice i i don't think that they're brought on board and told no you have to do this bigger page size i think it must be up to the artist personally and do you think i i'm convinced it must be because surely when it comes down to the brass tax of money as well surely an artist can charge a bigger page rate when they're doing more art to fill a bigger page well. you know what i mean <laughs> so i mean i think i think generally the art is the art is probably drawn bigger than this and on a bigger sheet than this and then is compressed oh, yeah, down either for black label or yeah for... i mean it's more to do with the dimensions is more what i would say because mm. the pages are wider those larger canvases are, are going to be wider as well. But no, I mean, when, when Black Label certainly first hit, it seemed that this was Black Label size. But then Batman Last Night on Earth came out and Batman Three Jokers came out and there was Black Label titles coming out that were still Prestige, but not what we finally learned was called Prestige Plus. Mm-hmm. But I mean, at a base level, I thought the story was pretty great. I think it's, I think it's clever as well in a way that it's coming out at a time when that great size barrier run is going on. But I think it's I think it's very different how it approaches Constantine. I think this one, not to say that there's not humor through Spurrier's run, but this is the, this definitely leans more on the the sort of charming, arrogant Constantine a bit more. 
I think, you know, the jokey Constantine maybe a bit more as well. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to Spurrier's, which is much more dark and mythical. And um, But I thought this was a great counterpoint. I thought there was tons of great moments. And I really enjoyed the whole stuff with, you know, John Constantine as a boy as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I thought the exploration of the relationship with his father was quite interesting. And uh, you're reading this as well, Roddy. What did you what, what did you make of it? Yes, I got it too. Um, yeah, I thought it was really good. I was actually just thinking back there um about the art thing i know i know we probably bang on about if you know does it deserve the kind of big format i think there was the part when it, when he was a kid and everything kind of when he creates his first magic storm where that creates the flood i think that like it was like a double page spread and it was gorgeous looking but i think yeah some of the other stuff was a bit i think with the black label stuff you need to be inventive with it and you know not everything can be like double page spreads but you need just what uh stefan did with um it was a harleen yeah Stepan that Sages, feels like yeah. quintessential the quintessential uh black label title um it felt really unique and just really like creative and this it felt like they had a vision for it um yeah, um, I thought it was really good. I didn't think it was, you know, blow away or anything. Um, but yeah, it's certainly interesting. I liked, um, I liked the character coming back to life, and I think Robin, uh, Derek Robinson, really is it Robinson or Roberts? Robertson. Robertson. Yeah, um, his the gritty kind of artwork really, really meshed with it. So I'm looking forward to where it goes. But um, yeah, I was I was so so about picking it up because I wasn't too sure. You know, I'm not the biggest Hellblazer guy, and the way you guys were talking about the the Sandman universe stuff, I was like, oh, this is this is gonna be great. And then it left a little bit to be desired, I would say. Yeah. But I mean, this is this is not the this is not the Sandman size barrier Hellblazer. I mean, if you're no. if you're gonna pick that up, pick up the trade paperback. You know the of that, which is I think there's is there a couple of those Alan? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that'll be a um, that'll be a stalwart of the store, I would say. Mm-hmm. Already, um, yeah. There. But there was there was one big, big. You, the, there's a middle. There's a center page spread uh, of this uh, uh, naked obese angel speared on a speared on a on a on a wind vane on top of a church right at the center of the book, and they've done a terrible thing, which is because it's a a, a double page spread. The the break in the two pages is, where is, the body is, is right where the right where the wind vane is and right where the body is and it just kind of makes it a waste. Yeah, you kind of feel like you with know? that it should have been Constantine on one page and the vane and the body on the other yeah, page. Yeah, yeah, because I across so. the middle it reminded me of, I think it was for Batman fifty maybe, or no, it was for the Batman 80th anniversary special. Tony Daniel did this great double page spread of the Bat Family. And Batman was in the middle, and because he was in the fold in the page, he was crushed, <laughs> and you could yeah. see the whole Bat family. It was just, yeah, it's, it wasn't and very well planned out. What what what's interesting is in a uh, and again not to not to bang on, but in a regular comic book that would be laid flat. You know what I mean? Because 
that's the center pages of a of another ways. Well, suppose mm. it would depend if it's square bound, it might still have a bit of a fold. Well, yeah. Not yeah, not as yeah. extreme, but I think it would still have a small a small fold there. But but yeah, overall, I thought it was it was pretty pretty great. Uh, it's it's not something that stayed with me for longer afterwards. But this was that escapism I'm talking about while I'm reading it. I'm enjoying it. I'm invested in it. You know, there's there's good humor and so forth, and there good storytelling and a nice little cliffhanger at the end. So uh, yeah. yeah. Well, very notable for being like that silly sized black label title that Keith picked up. I know. <laughs> the first one since Batman Dams yeah. managed to yeah, dig its nails into. Well, you know, Hellblazer, Tom Taylor. There you go. Yeah. Keep following those creators. Um, um, and then speaking of which, speaking yeah. of which, speaking uh, of speaking of Tom. <laughs> yeah, Tom indeed. Tom King's uh, Strange Adventures number five of twelve uh mr ads and uh doc sheener on uh, on art uh i really enjoyed issue four that was the the focus on mr terrific uh but i think this is now really moving moving ahead a pace you know it's uh and the the story that's been told is coming out so this the, there, there's there's a, a two-part story on here you know the the picked invasion is apparently imminent um to earth and uh and Adam Strange, despite the fact he's under investigation by the Justice League for possible war crimes on Ram, um, the mystery of where his his and Alana's daughter have gone, despite that, uh, the U.S. effectively uh, elect him to uh, to lead the uh, the strike force against and the planning force against the uh, against the the uh, the alleged picked invasion, and uh, that's set against the backdrop of. Uh, Alana and Adam uh, trying to negotiate with these uh, rock people in the caves and ran back in the day and uh, you know they're, they're trying to survive over weeks and weeks while they wait and uh, I don't know what's going on there I'm starting to you know in those in those moments when when Adam and Alana are together they're they're reinforcing each other's fundamentalism really and and you know self self belief in what that what they're doing and what they're doing is right you know at the expense of all else and i'm starting to wonder just how much alana is controlling this narrative um and exactly what uh just what is is going on it's uh it's really really interesting uh and i initially it i wasn't finding it so but it's it's found its feet for sure yeah, it definitely feels like the plot is progressing on very quickly from this issue and you can start to see the pieces fall into place and so forth. It's almost like they've done all the character work to this point. Now it's like, right, let's focus on plot. I really dug this issue as well. I thought this was this was a great issue. I loved all the stuff in Washington. I uh, I love, yeah, the, the, the irony of him then essentially leading the Justice League to, you know, protect Earth despite the fact that at the same time they're you know, investigating him and trying to uh, trying to take him down for war crimes and so forth. And now they want his knowledge of war to help save them. And I, yeah, I just thought there was a lot of cool oppositions in this and a lot of a lot of good storytelling. Uh, I thought so. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, it was it was strong for me. It was it was not far away from being my pick of the week. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll get you back on the strange adventures at some point, Roddy. We're we're uh, we're working on see it. You, see you at the train. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, those were some uh, DC picks from 2nd of September. What about Marvel-wise? Uh, there was a couple of good wee titles. Obviously, in the last podcast, we'd spoken about 
Hawkeye Freefall number five, uh, number six came out this week. Was pretty damn strong. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. It was the the end of that that six issue mini series, which was the emotional up and down of uh, will they publish it digitally only, <laughs> or will they actually bring it out? You know, but uh, Matthew Rosenberg did a did a great job of continuing on. I feel that in the spirit of of Matt Fraction's uh, seminal Hawkeye run, um, it, it it picks up. We've got a we've got a bit of uh, a bit of Hawkeye uh, bullseye rivalry in here. Obviously, Hawkeye's arch nemesis, uh, you know, or, or one of his arch nemeses, um, bullseye. We've got the whole uh, uh, finishing off of the plot with Ronan, uh, Hawkeye's other identity, and uh, you know, uh, at the end of last issue, bullseye had uh, had left Bryce, the hacker, mortally wounded, back at the fortress of Solid Dudes. And uh, you know, so it's it's all about uh, Hawkeye's Hawkeye's revenge and trying to get out from under the the scheme that he's got himself that he's got himself into, as well as uh, I guess trying to finalize his uh, his revenge against uh, against the Hood or his uh, his running battle with the Hood. So uh, so yeah, really really solid ending. I guess this is going to be a trade, Alan. Um, so I'd highly recommend picking that up. It'll make an awesome trade, I reckon. Yeah, well, it will. It's uh, the Otto Schmidt's art is just is just fantastic, just just cartoony enough, um, but not not so much so that you can't convey like a solid message, you know. And that just that ending, that that ending, you know, when the the bad guys sort of it's a, it's, a, it's a, Hawkeye. I always say Hawkeye cannot. He spend he just he's got such a good heart, but he just cannot get out of his own way when it comes to doing good. You know what I mean? He just cannot, and uh, you know. But as uh, the way the way he comes around and the the, the the his his final act on the on the hood is fantastic. But just the uh, the enforcers just letting Hawkeye go at the end and saying, ah, "Let him go, Ox. Ox, he's one of us. He doesn't even know it yet." You know, it's uh, it's. Uh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hawkeye just walks that line. So yeah, good stuff. Uh, you read it as well, Alan. Yeah. Yeah, same again. Just very strong end of the series. I thought this issue, like, there was a lot of storytelling for just a single issue. An awful lot happened in this issue. I did almost feel that it maybe could have been stretched. You know, this this is just me being greedy because I enjoyed it so much. But I almost think you could have got a seventh issue out of this and just stretched this last issue out a little more. But I think I'm just being greedy there and should just be grateful we got six issues in, in, in print. But it's also a testament to how much I was enjoying it. I would have happily this you know was extended to eight issues, ten issues. It's definitely that's just a... the. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna say that's the DC man in you for a sixth day. They, they got to make a seventh on a six issue miniseries. <laughs> Let me tell you something. That is not just a DC thing. I can tell you, that is very much a Marvel thing as well. Uh, that that's a that's a. We're two issues into this six issue miniseries. Holy moly, this is selling well. Yeah. Can you can you do a seventh issue, guys? You know, just to <laughs> you know, make it a bit longer. But no, I, I thought this was a great series, and this will be a big recommendation of ours, I think, in store for, for when it hits trade paperback. Just great title. You, it, it's a great continuation of the fraction stuff, but yeah, it very much stands on its own two feet as well. So uh some great stuff there. Uh what else we got Marvel wise? Uh these these next couple are just they're all you, Keith. I still haven't read uh Marvel's okay. summer event. Well, you know what? I'm not going to... So, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy number six. Uh, we're talking about Al Ewing again. Uh, I've just recently finished talking about him. 
can't talk about the guy enough. Um, so Guardians of the Galaxy 6 isn't really linked to Empire at all, Alan. Um, but it, uh, it's, a, it's a great Nova story. Um, so there's been a clash between two different sects of the Guardians that has ended in an, an uneasy truce. Uh, but now without sort of the burning anger between them or a mission to distract them, the Guardians are facing the reality before them, which is that Peter Quill is dead. Uh, and some are dealing with the loss better than others. Um, it's it's a, it's a story largely about Nova uh, and, and, and who, who Nova is and what's going on with him, what has been going on with him since nearly since Annihilation. And it, it's, it's a real PTSD book. It's... Uh, about the pressure that a that a that a man puts on himself, you know, that to make him do things, as a result of as a result of uh, childhood emotional abuse, I guess. Um, it's just a really enlightening. It's a really enlightening story, a journey a journey of uh, of self discovery for for rich writer. Um, and uh, yeah, really really interesting. Uh, I really enjoyed it. You could you could probably pick it up as a just as, as a one issue and, and enjoy it um really a really lovely issue really deep um character driven issue and uh i'll not say too much about uh, empire number six other than uh it was a fantastic close to the to the miniseries the, a miniseries that i really enjoyed um bringing the uh bringing the epic decades long well decades long for us but uh, millennia long for them uh Cree scroll war to to an end and setting up an entirely new status quo in the in the marvel cosmic universe um and i'm not just saying that because uh, because that's what you say at the end of a miniseries um some great uh, avengers moments some great fantastic four moments uh some great she hulk moments um yeah very very good very enjoyable uh, i'll say no more because I know you're. Uh, I know you're looking forward to reading it, uh, Alan. Yep. All issues are sitting there. I have the prelude issues. I have the aftermath, the fallout issues. I have it all lined up, ready to go. So I will jump into that. Although bringing my pull list home today was uh, quite the eye-opening experience, so <laughs> it might fall to the bottom <laughs> of the pile a little bit. Uh, uh, Roddy, you touch you touch Empire at all, or are you staying away from it? Yeah, staying away. <laughs> well, like um. <laughs> I've heard good things from you, so like I don't know. It sounds like you could just jump in, to be honest. But it's a big, it's a big commitment. Out of interest, what was the last big DC or Marvel event that you enjoyed, Roddy? Because you don't really, ju- I don't think you tend to jump on them in general. You know, you. No, I'm. I don't think I'm you did absolute, of events like. You know, we we got. Uh, I we, did get a nice absolute carnage variant though. I have that on my wall. Um, <laughs> I like I like that that's, <laughs> that's what the, I do with events. I like that that's the sum total of your involvement in events. Well, I do have this nice variant uh, that hangs on my wall. Suppose we did get you to read House and Powers. It was probably the last one I yeah, could think of. Yeah, that was that was more of a land. Mm. You know, metal. You're not. Jesus, I don't really not know. into absolute carnage. You didn't really. I'm just pure curiosity. I'm just curious to see if something will change your mind a I little. I think bit. I would love. I think I'd like absolute carnage though. I really do want to get to that venom run at some stage. But, oh, um, yeah, I don't know, man. Metal passed me by. That's because Keith keeps talking so negatively about Scott Snyder. You're just like, <laughs> oh, did you do uh, Did you do Hunted, Spider-Man? Yeah, yeah, and 2099, yeah. 20, 20, if that is considered an event. Mm. <laughs> Based on your expression, I'm going to say no. I, 
I think I just so happens to uh, <laughs> that event just carried me along rather than the other way around. Yeah, well, does that sometimes. Well, how about <laughs> we move away from the relative, you know, scariness of events and into the indie honourable mentions then for 2nd of September. Yeah, there was some good stuff here, some uh, continuations of titles that we've certainly enjoyed. Uh, the first one we've got down is, is again, a, a stalwart of this podcast, something we'll consistently recommend. You'll even be hearing about the trade becoming available in the next previews podcast. Die number 13. Another great issue. Oh, yeah. Roddy, you, you read this one yet? Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, read it ages ago, though. I can't really remember much about it, which is a bit sad almost because well, yeah. I was trying to think about things and then I don't know. If, I don't know if it's just been going too long that I kind of go... You know, it's it's always consistent, but um, it's still a fantastic series. I look forward to reading, but um, yeah, I'll have to maybe give it a bit more focus. Maybe I think it's one that uh, I think it's one that would be worth reading reading back to back over and over. Uh, yeah. Just like, yeah, but uh, but yeah, issue thirteen. So I think we're only seven issues from the end. You know, we're we'll be entering the uh, we'll be entering the third act here, uh, or getting getting close to it for sure. Um, but uh, the inclusion of H.G. Wells as uh, one of the original gamers, um, you know, and uh, one of the original builders of Angria through his through his game Little Wars, and uh, just what we're starting to see how the, how these people have 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 built this world. These these I don't know that's been been built by the likes of Tolkien and and Wells and and all these things, and but but yet uh, the world of Die has been controlling them. In a way, so it's in order to, in order to get built and the references to you know H.T. Wells and and uh, you know the the connections that you know H.G. Wells created this 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 book Little Wars to to try and uh, as a game to try and avoid wars and in doing so may have precipitated the first world war. Uh, through the power, through the power of day and and uh, the power of story, and it uh, oh, it's really fantastic stuff. Um, the party remains split. Uh, there's some references to the Invisible Man. Um, some some awesome stuff going on with uh, going on with the other characters as they're on uh, they're in uh, Zone Twenty or Region Twenty um, of the of the day. Uh, and, and all the stuff that's that's happening there. So just a, just a whole lot, just a whole lot going on, and uh, I'm very much enjoying it. Um, what are you reckon, Alan? Yeah, Die again just continues to be top tier storytelling, and I, I, I do I do agree with Roddy to a certain degree. I do think that Die, I, I love reading it issue to issue, but I am looking forward to having it all at the end and just not focusing on anything else and just having to read through that because I'm sure there is so much more depth to that than we're even picking yeah. out reading it, you know, and there's going to be nods to previous issues. There's so many nods to sort of, you know, as you said, with H.G. Wells and so forth. We had Tolkien in it before. We had, you know, there's there's so much to unpack and die. You know, Karen Gillan is probably the biggest geek when it comes to mainline comic writers. Like, he knows his stuff inside and out. Uh, so I'll really look forward to reading it all when it's done. But you don't want to have anything spoiled on you for it, so I think that's why you stick with the single issues as well. Yeah, um, yeah. It's I mean it's 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 a real high concept book as well. You know, it's uh, there's a there's a lot going on with that guy, Kieran Gillen. <laughs> you know, there's 
the idea just his i mean he he he's, he writes stories about stories and about the process of writing stories and what a story means you know it's it really is that's one of the most interesting things about it it was like i think it maybe took a step beyond for me like beyond all the characters in it and then became this meta story about a story about a game and their creation of it all like that's not a criticism at all and uh stephanie hans's art is still utterly gorgeous we said it before you could just like pick a panel and just be like okay we'll put that on the wall it's absolutely gorgeous like every everything about that book and her artwork is just phenomenal yeah i mean it's it uh, it really is i mean and and you know that that whole idea um that whole idea of, of stories and and stories and stories and playing with stories has also been explored in in once in future um but i think this is i think this is a whole you know a whole nother level of it really uh, i mean but again that's another example of of kieran kieran gillen playing with the idea of stories and and what stories mean to culture and and history and you know um yeah absolutely it's great stuff well speaking of stories within stories roddy i think you have another indie pick for us honorable mention yeah um we waited a long time for this but uh one of my picks was bang number three um this this thing is crazy yeah this i i don't even know where to start with this um this one was um we waited a long time for it this was delayed with uh the coronavirus obviously i think we had one and two before and then this i think this just appeared once in the pull list and i was like oh it's back um this this one focuses on michelle queen each each issue is kind of taken on a different character um they're still as bonkers as ever um the color sorry i should say by matt kent art by wilfredo torres and nayong kim and nate picos on lettering this is it's great sort of each issue seems to be sort of like an exploration of spy tropes and that sort of drama we had james bond in the first one and then this is like a bizarre mix of like Knight Rider and something else with the <laughs> talking car. But uh, I really, there's something in it I really like. There's like dueling narratives in it, um, the dueling narration narratives, which is really good. Um, and utterly, the colors in it are absolutely insane. Um, it was just like, um, just a really nice. I don't know where the story is going, and I don't know if I will ever know where it is going. But um, it's a really psychedelic, trippy book and sort of like these love letters to action films. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully I'll finally figure out where it's going <laughs> in the end. <laughs> what do you, were you guys reading it? Uh, I read the first issue of this, Roddy. Um, someone loaned it to me. Uh, it was yourself or Alan. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I meant to uh, I meant to grab uh, two and three, so I certainly would appreciate that. The the first one was really trippy. Yeah, this it gets even crazier. The first one first one was Tom, Thomas Cord, isn't it? The James Bond kind of character, and he appears in this one at the end. But um, yeah, 
have you have you picked this one up, Alan? Yeah, I'm same as you guys, uh, same as yourself, Rod. I've been I've been digging it all the way through. the The release scheduling is certainly not helping it. But each issue is almost like a one shot anyway. So far, each issue is almost like introducing these characters that are all getting sort of recruited for this big team by you know the ultimate you know sort of team up issue that there's going to be down the line but yeah i've been really enjoying it so far but yeah it's definitely been hampered by the uh the release scheduling for it and the unfortunate world situation we find ourselves in which actually leads us beautifully to the next issue as well we're going to chat about quickly which was also dark horse as was bang uh this was a title believe it or not that originally came out on april 1st why are we talking about it in September? Well, the release scheduling again being all over the place, this only seemed to come out in the States a couple of weeks ago. And it's something I read a long time ago and something that, you know, you've been reading recently, Keith, that I know you really, really enjoyed. Uh, this is a story called Spy Island. Yes, a Bermuda Triangle mystery. Um, With so, one of the greatest, pulpiest covers you'll ever see. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah, it's class, uh, isn't it? You know, and, and yeah, I read this. I read this back in April. It was actually one that I pulled off the racks on your recommendation, Alan, and I'm glad I did. And uh, I have wait, been waiting sort of five, five or six months for an issue too. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't talk about it at the time because of the weirdness of it. But uh, but yeah, so it uh, you know it follows a four issue story, I think. Yeah, that'll uh, be four. That, that, yeah, that follows uh, a spy named uh, Nora Nora Freud. Freud. Uh, she's a an undercover operative whose tropical mission is to keep an, an eye on things. Uh, tourists, enemy spies, villains looking to take over the world, mermaids, alien time bandits, Nazi U-boats, uh, and has to attend fundraisers. Uh, all in that one issue, like um, so. It's it's just it's just weird. Um, it's just totally off the wall. I mean, there's a whole lot of things in it that are just very very typical of the the spy movie and the spy book genre um you know including uh, you know mysterious island locales and uh you know uh secret agents in bathing suits and um you know there's there's an awful lot of genre tropes that are made fun of and turned in their head you know through this you know through this uh medium you know so yeah i really enjoyed it it uh it looks gorgeous um it reads well. Um, totally, totally different from anything of from anything of red. It's got a few wee, uh, Hickman-like text panels in there from the Bermuda Triangle uh, Preservation Society stop mermaid harassment. Um, uh, but yeah, really, 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 really weird and really interesting. Um, the uh, the creative team. Let me see. Uh, the creative team I had a list here somewhere. It's Chelsea Kane's writer on it, uh, color uh, cover artist Leah Metternich. Interior artist is not someone I'm overly familiar with, Elise McCall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the art is what really drew me to this, I have to say. it's It's got a bit of an Archer vibe, I think, to it as well, um, where it's simultaneously enjoying being in the spy industry or in the spy genre, but also at the same time taking the mick out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, similar to Bang. A little yeah, bit. There's, yeah, there's similarities there for sure. <clears throat> what do you say? There's going to be a crossover when it comes to issue four of Spy Island and issue four of Bang, and they're just going to, you know, collapse together. But yeah, I had a lot of fun with this one. It was trippy. It was a bit of a throwback, almost sort of just sixties set spy movie sort of thing. And 
Yeah. Same again. Sold well in the store, but there probably are loads of people who are thinking, are we ever going to get an issue two? So here's hoping sometime soon. Uh, speaking of issue twos, uh, I know there was one you wanted to have a quick chat about, Roddy. I believe issue one was initially one of your picks of the week. Yeah, it was. Uh, so see all the things you said about the two previous books? Mm-hmm. This is not that. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> So, um, yeah, Lost Soldiers number two by Alice Cott, Luca Castellanguida, Heather Marie Lawrence, Murr, and Adia Bidikar on letters. Um, I am loving this book, I have to say. Um, Lost Soldiers is sort of like an examination about the horrors of war, aging, PTSD, um, the first one is sort of there's sort of like this dual narrative of the flashbacks are set in Vietnam with these two um, Marines. Um, let me just remember their names. Hold on. Yeah, it's uh, Hawkins and Kowalski. So we sort of we see them on multiple planes. They're in Vietnam, uh, but they also. They have a mission where they're going to Juarez in Mexico for one one last score kind of thing. Um, it's a very meditative book. Um, it's not certainly not for anything. There is a bit of action in the first one, but it's maybe more. I don't know if it's like Andrei Tarkovsky directing. I don't know, Apocalypse Now and Sicario mixing it all together. Um, but I loved it. I loved um, I loved all the kind of poetry in it, and I loved it. It's so, it's a bit meandering and it's ponderous, but it's also it's violent at the same time. I really I loved the ideas in it. And I loved the themes. Um, there's also some really great. Uh, I like how it's all Jonathan Hickman style back matter, but uh, I really liked the redacted and classified top secret stuff at the back because it gave a real nice um hint into the the big man he's called the the kind of villain of the piece we we do see him in the vietnam flashbacks as well um but yeah it's it's really awesome and i loved it the luca's art is just incredible um just really trippy um trippy in a different way than bang i would say but yeah, I loved I loved the blending of um, sort of like the horrors of Vietnam with the horrors they're experiencing in Juarez as well. Yeah, really dug it. Anybody else on it? Yeah, I read issue one and I th- I thought it was okay. I read it just because again I'll always read every indie number one that I can. But uh, I never jumped on the number two of this. It it was a, it was an okay number one. I just don't think it really resonated with me the same way it did for yourself. But Maybe I do need to read number two. You know, maybe I need it's to. Very, very artsy. I think. Is is the word you're looking for pretentious? Yeah, that's a good thing. With this. <laughs> <laughs> Roddy, I come for the superheroes punching each other in the face. Ignore my <laughs> ignore my previous lonely receiver review. Uh, yeah, I should probably give the second one a go. To be honest, I usually give most series the first two issues because number one can often be just set up and establishment of world and so forth and then the plot maybe gets moving to number two so i'll maybe grab that off you at some point uh and then was there one more you wanted to chat about because i know this is uh, this is definitely something that you're just on 
There's a couple of guys. Speaking, no, I don't think so. No, I no. don't know if Keith has even heard of it. Is there? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, speaking of uh, awesome worlds, um, this uh, I sort of stumbled upon this, and you were very kind enough to get me a copy. Um, this is Broken Gargoyle, Gargoyles by Bob Sally. Uh, the writer, Stan Yak, who does pencils and inks, colors by Macro Pagnotta and Robert Nugent. Um, this is described as a diesel punk book. Um, I adored this. I thought it was fantastic. See, when I picked it up, the art is gorgeous. Um, the story is really interesting. It's about set in 1925 in New York City and sort of an alternate look at the Great Depression. Um, these soldiers have come back from the war and much like in the real terms, it's gone a bit badly for them. They can't find work and it's all gone wrong. But then we we get to the diesel punk part of it where these, these sort of two characters, this doctor and a sort of awesome looking henchman in a gas mask that you can see on the cover. Um, they're sort of going around America trying to recruit all the soldiers um, from their battalion and they're looking to sort of create this revenge on the kind of country that they feel have wronged them. Um, I loved it. I thought it was absolutely stunning work from, it's from SourcePoint Press so I don't know if you'll be able to really pick up any copies now but yeah, it was awesome. Um, Stan Yak's art is gorgeous really really fantastic book there's a great double page spread that kind of reminded me of mad max fury road oh wow uh-huh. but yeah um yeah it's kind of I'd, I'd describe it as that mad max kind of meets you know post post world war one sort of uh redemption story yeah really really cool just came out of nowhere as well it, I think I just saw saw something about it on the internet, and I was like, "Hey, yeah, that sounds sounds a bit good." I think it's um, I think it might only be a mini series, four issue or five issue or something like that. But yeah, great stuff. Well, yeah, believe it or not, there are a couple of other guys in store on this as well. So there are really? a few there are a few that have that keen eye for these things. But uh, typical you, Roddy, to find a title that sounds awesome, and then it's like, but you can't have it. It's Source Point (laughs) Press. Fine. (laughs) Um, Cool. Yeah, so that was uh, Broken Gargoyles number one, which was the last honorable mention for the 2nd of September. So uh, we'll take a quick break here, and then we will be back with the 9th of September. And so we're back, and now we're going to be tackling the 9th of September. So it's really interesting looking ahead at uh, everyone's picks here. I have to say, these really were two very indie heavy weeks, and that is a theme I'm going to continue with my pick for the 9th of September. And for me, this was undoubtedly best title of this week. It's another title that we talk about all the time, recommended all the time. The first trade is available if you want to play catch-up. And as strong as this series has been the whole way through, and I said this about issue 9 because I thought issue 9 was the best issue so far. I now think issue 10 is the best (laughs) issue of this. So this is Something is Killing the Children, number 10. So James Tinian, we're chatting him again after mentioning Batman earlier, uh, is writer on this. You've got Werther Deladera is the artist on this as well. 
and they just continue to do absolutely amazing work. Uh, I should throw out as well, coloured by Miquel Muerto and lettered by Andwell Design. If I had to sum up this issue, it is fear. This, this is the issue where so many threads are coming together and so many fears are explored. I mean, you only have to look at page one and you've already got the fear of a parent outliving their child, the fear of a parent having to identify their dead child. You know, this book really pulls no punches. You know, we this, this is very much an adult book. I know we talk about Black Label and this and that. This is like the hardest of 18 ratings, this book. So it is, but it's really smart storytelling as well. But yeah, so it's exploring dark themes. It's exploring the idea of fear. So uh, it's essentially at the start, the police officers are calling forward the family of Sophie Mahoney so that they can identify the body. And like even this is just well written. By the end of the bottom of the page, the, the officer is nervously trying to talk to her. She's just walking through in this sort of dressing gown and a cigarette and is like, just stop talking to me. I need to get ready. You know, you have to brace yourself for this sort of thing. Um, then you cut out to stuff in the woods. You now have someone who has come from the same order that uh, Erica Slaughter is from uh, called Aaron. And he's discussing things with the local sheriff and also with one of the witnesses, one of the boys who has been seeing everything happening in the woods. And he's essentially saying, you know, we cannot allow you to live. So you think, geez, they're about to kill another child off here. But Erica turns up and sort of stops this one. But... Yeah, I mean, th this book just continues to escalate. And when it started off, the, the sort of monsters in the woods were all babies. They were all young. They're now getting bigger. And when they get bigger, they get hungrier. So they start stepping outside of the woods, shall we say. But yeah, it just continues to explore the idea of fear. You know, there's a great sequence in the middle. And this is honestly one of the hardest things I've had to read this year, but these little kids are playing in the middle of the crowd. They have no idea why all these crowds have gathered. You know, they're just there because their parents are there and their parents are there to make them feel safe. And they're just playing with like, there's this one girl we follow and she's playing with like a little paper plane, just dancing around this crowd. And then she just stops. And then all the other kids are all looking in the same direction and tears are starting to fill their eyes and they can actually, because they can see the monsters, the adults can't. So then you have that fear of, as a child, your parent not believing you when you talk about something and you're in danger. So that's another fear that's explored. And then, <laughs> I, I can't believe this is a panel in a comic book this year. But the child gets lifted up and there's this loud, you, you can almost hear the scream through the pages. This loud, deafening, you know, desperate scream. And the girls lift it up. And of course, the parents can't see the monsters. You know, it's all it, it's almost a play on that whole idea of, you know, the kids can see the monsters because they believe in them, but the parents can't. And so, I can't believe I'm talking about this. And then the body just gets ripped in half and thrown across like it's nothing. And this is now the, the residents of this small town starting to maybe understand what Eric is trying to be warning them about the whole way through this tale. And they're all just like, this can't be real. What in the hell is going on? So then you have, you know, more fears being explored. Um, and then the issue actually ends with just this massive... So the whole way through, this guy, Aaron, who's, you know, from the House of Slaughter and all the rest and is, you know, part of the same... I suppose part of the same faction that's keeping all these secrets from the world and trying to, you know, hide these things. He actually has his heroic moments. And even it is just horribly done. Like, it's... He's sort of like, oh, I'll give you time to let you guys get away. And he is just decimated within two seconds. 
And, mm. you know, there's even this desperate plea from him where he's like, please pardon my French here, but, oh, fuck, not this soon, please. And then it just cuts to this wide shot of these monsters feeding on him. This book is just absolutely brilliant. Uh, it is very much, despite having the word children in the title, very much not for children. This is adult <laughs> storytelling. It's dark. It's exploring real fears, as, a, as a, which seems to be the theme running through this issue. And just thoroughly, thoroughly brilliant storytelling. Um, there's like, there's a real bleakness and hopelessness to it that leaves you feeling very strange after you've read an issue. I, I always tend to find. I mean, I always find you have hope in it because you've got Erica there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As, as, as strange as she is and as detached as she can be and all the rest, she is hope because she is trying to fight to save the kids. And, you know, she's the one that realizes in this issue and it's, and it's one of the best moments in it. Uh, let me just find it here. But uh, it's just where Erica has, is talking to the, the sheriff saying, yeah, what's happening there? I've had it up to here with you people, Erica. I need you to tell me what the hell is going on here. I found Tommy Mahoney with three bodies out in the woods. There's blood all over him. I had my officers with him and I'm going to need to take him in. I just had to tell the Parkers they just lost more of their children. Your friend is watching him until we can get this lock cleared and we can bring the bodies into the gym. And then there's just this great stark contrast in colour because the colours in Something is Killing the Children are always very dark, very bleak, as you say, Roddy. Lots of purples and blacks and blood reds. And then there's just this one panel at the bottom of the page and the background colour is actually bright almost like alert orange and she says three bodies and there are children there fuck okay you know so she is the hero you know of the story very much rushing to do the right thing as strange as she may be so i do find there are elements of hope in here i don't hold high hopes for this story having a happy ending i would say <laughs> uh but this is a series that just genuinely with every issue it just gets better and better this this, this is a movie or a tv show waiting to happen and i know that's not necessarily the ultimate, you know, ultimate recommendation for any comic because the art form stands on its own. But this would just be so chilling and get under your skin. And if it was done right, would just be thoroughly, thoroughly brilliant. And then would bring it to a larger audience. So, yeah, just issue of the week for me. Best issue of the series so far. Uh, so there's I, been a lot of a lot of great issues in this series. I totally, totally agree. And uh, and this is this is no <laughs> exception. I love. I love how if you look through if you look through the story, uh, the little girl who gets ripped in half is always sort of in the background, flying around with her plane or toy plane, and you know all of that sort of stuff. And then, and that there was one thing confused me a wee bit. Uh-huh. Um, was so uh, at the very very start, uh, whenever uh, Tommy is found with the bodies, the two bodies, yeah, uh-huh. out in the forest, uh, and uh, Sheriff uh, Kavanaugh is watching him and then sheriff kavanaugh you know more or less arrests him so you know right to remain silent then sheriff kavanaugh sends his two officers off sends away and Aaron slaughter appears mm-hmm. yeah and uh and the, the the sheriff says oh god there's more of you uh you know sheriff kavanaugh i presume we spoke on the phone of course we did but then you know the sheriff leaves the murder suspect tommy with Aaron Slaughter, despite the fact he's just met him, I th- I think it's a case of his state of mind is just not there because, you know, 
he basically so aaron turns up and he's saying like oh i think i can be of some assistance they'll need authority to keep the adults down there from panicking so he's essentially his first responsibility is to the people of his town Mm -hmm. so he's basically although this is not an optimum situation i would agree he probably shouldn't have sent the the two officers away but he's basically just like do i want to stand here and arrest this guy or do i need to go and tell another parent that a kid has died you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's weighing he's probably not thinking rationally you know Whenever I read it back, there's probably more going on in the phone call that uh, they previously had. Uh, that that's maybe where he he uh, he imprinted his authority or something. But uh, yeah, just uh, you know, I think I think the change in Aaron throughout this, you know, where he's like very much toeing the party line of house slaughter. Uh, I can't let you. I'm well aware that that you can what Eric did to you, boy. I'm uh, I, I can't. You know, you you're a nuisance to the order of Saint George. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna have to kill you, you know that sort of thing. To yeah. the suddenly coming around to Erica's way of thinking, you know that journey of of Aaron Slaughter's throughout the issue, to eventually sacrificing himself in order to give everybody more time. You know what I mean? He, he comes from very much toeing the party line, wanting to keep the secret to dying in the open. You know what I mean? Which is I think is is class. Um, so yeah, I'd love to. I think I'd love to learn a wee bit more about Aaron Slaughter um yeah i mean i think even he's surprised by the escalation because again this is a a great testament to the art but when erica first turns up to stop aaron from hurting hurting the boy you know she's saying like there's five oscura types three dead think for a goddamn second and mm-hmm. the next the next panel is just his eyes bright bright wide and he's like that's not enough sustenance for a full bro- full brood. Mm-hmm. They'll have grown with each kill. Three bodies are not enough to fill one of them, not five. So even he's seeing the escalation of the situation. But yeah, just mm-hmm. that very next page, as I say, just to go back to it. But just because, again, this is a really dark, bleak title with lots of black backgrounds. And then you get this white page, this stark contrast. And these kids all just looking in the opposite direction from the parents with tears in their eyes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. afraid that they cannot move it's just incredible the way it's done and then that reveal of when you turn the page and you know the monsters are there because this is probably the first time we've seen them at full size as well and certainly out in the open although only out yeah, in the open yeah. to, the, to the kids i had more hope for i had more hope for aaron yeah. uh, you know that that scene where where uh she goes aaron what do you think you're doing he puts on his mask his bandana you know with the teeth on it yeah uh, and I'm, I'm wondering what the significance of those are as well because she wears one i mean obviously it's not just covering your mouth and covering your nose or topical though that may be um <laughs> you know it's there's something more going on there but she goes aaron what do you think you're doing you can't fight for shit and he's like i passed all the same field tests you did erica and a few more now that i think about it and she's like you're bragging now and uh you know away he goes and it's uh <laughs> yeah yeah it's like it's wow. like that heroic last stand and you think that you're maybe going to see him further down the line maybe he'll have lost an arm or he'll have fought them back or something but the, it's so unrelenting this book that uh, uh, turn I, a page dead i am so keen to learn more about the house of slaughter you know just even that his you know just please you know what the order will do now that this many people have seen an attack firsthand i'm not an evil man you know i don't like how the order conducts business all i all i ever tried to do was keep things tipped to the right balance that's why i've always had your back ever since we lost jessica i'm like Tell me more. What what's going on? What's the history here? You know, so yeah, you're just thinking you can't kill this guy. He needs to tell us more stories. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, just the 
and and again just to go back to it it was what i was chatting about earlier as well it's a book unlike any other at the moment i think it's probably the most outright pure horror book out there at the moment and it just nails the landing time and time and time again and again establishes just how good of a writer tinian is continuing to be so yeah just thoroughly blown away by this every time i recommend it to everybody you know jump on the jump on the trades jump on the single issues whatever um this this is one of those titles you know as well what we're talking about with boom and so forth that very much led this sort of boom assault with all these great titles coming out this was one of the ones that led the way with it along with uh once in future so mm-hmm. so yeah so that is my pick then for 9th of september so just to complete a fortnight of zero dc best title of the week it was too indie you must be so proud of me roddy uh <laughs> how are you feeling alan I don't know. I need to go and lie down, guys. Um, Worried about you. (laughs) So yeah, something is killing the children. (laughs) Ten. So now that I've now that I've talked about two indie books, why don't you make it two indie books as well, Riley, with your second pick? (sighs) Yeah, I'm actually going to break the chain here. (laughs) What is going on this week? Typical. Um, I'm actually going to go for a Marvel title, believe it or not, uh, which was definitely somebody's potentially mind uh, pick in previews. And this is The Rise of Ultraman by Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom. And there's a couple of different artists on this one. Uh, Francesco Mana is the main artist. And then Michael Cho, Kurihiri and Ed McGuinness have sort of like these cool backup stories as well. And then Espen Grindenschirm is the colorist. So um, this ca- this kind of came out of left field when we were doing the previews and we sort of saw Marvel had sort of paired up with the Japanese parent company of Ultraman and acquired the rights to publish comic books in the US. Um, Kaiju... Kaiju stuff is, you know, sort of a strange history in America, you know, with Godzilla not really doing so well, a really kind of weird movie in 1998. Great soundtrack, though. But, yeah, um, I guess American audiences have probably always struggled with these kind of books. Um, It's over to Kyle Higgins, who's done Power Rangers, to really kind of take this five issue miniseries and take the reins and go go for it so i was really excited for it and yeah i just thought it was it was a great sort of debut introduction to there was a lot of moving parts in it so at the start we're sort of introduced to um lifelong friends kiki fuji and shin hayata um kiki has been recruited by the usp which is the united science patrol um shins has been rejected and he has always wanted to work for them since he was a boy um they're the like the elite squad serving as uh, earth's um last hope against the monstrous um kaiju creatures that are appearing all over the world and they sort of learn that the organization is, you know, there's there's a little secret there that they may uncover. And it sort of puts them in this position of like monster hunters. What a, Francesco Mana's art in this is utterly stunning. It reminds me of it's sort of like really kinetic and fast or something. It's really cool. And it reminded me of like 
just watching an anime, I thought he really, really knocked it out of the park with this one. Um, Higgins and Groom kind of, there's a really interesting sort of interplay between the two main characters. And then we've also got, we were introduced to a few more at the USP, um, which is kind of, who, who else read this? Yeah, 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 I picked it up as well, Roddy. I thought it was fantastic. Did did you get some sort of X Files vibes from it with the uh, USP? Yeah, there was there was definitely an X Files vibe. There was a there was a like a that Power Rangers style vibe as well. Obviously, um, yeah, there was. Uh, yeah, I definitely did. I definitely did. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, um, yeah, um, it was really. I was thinking about it while I was reading it. I was like, the. I think I've seen some criticisms labeled that it it was very much a setup issue. There's a lot of exposition in it, but but I didn't think that was a bad thing. I have seen some criticism that said they kind of wanted it because it's a five issue mini series. I think they kind of wanted to hit the ground you know, running. These kaiju kaiju battles to like destroy cities like straight away, but um, I don't think that's the kind of book it was. Um, I thought it set it set up everything really well, um, and I'm really intrigued to see where it goes. Um, I did love the was a Michael Cho's backup story, the sort of yeah. like noir Ultra Q, wasn't it? adventure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was really cool. I really liked that. And then there is the uh, what do you call it? The I can't remember like the, the wee, wee name. Like yeah, the you had like the wee kaiju stories, kaiju steps. Yes, yeah. Sort of like the wee one. It was great. Yeah, it's like had a had a lot of fun with this book. Yeah, um, and that there was an Alex Ross cut. The Alex Ross main cover is gorgeous. Yeah, but this oh. cover is nicer. Ooh, look at that, Scotty Young goodness. Look at that, Scotty Young goodness. <laughs> yeah, we have an unwritten rule in our house that uh, basically any Scotty Young variant that comes out, Vicky has to get. So even if she's not going to read it, but she actually did read this and really, really dug it as well. So, oh, nice. Yeah, it's, it actually for me, I was I was saying this to Keith earlier about it. You know, I I know I'm teasing you a little bit that it's a Marvel pick, but it really felt like an indie book to me. It didn't. I guess because it's a new IP with Marvel and obviously teaming up with, you know, Japanese companies and so forth. But this felt like an indie yeah. book to me. You know, had a real indie spirit. Yeah, to it. I'd, I'd go along with that. Yeah, I mean, if it if it rocked up in like Boom or something, you wouldn't really you wouldn't yeah. bat an eyelid. I don't think. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there's there was a lot going on. Um. Really, a lot to take in with, and I think I am not an Ultraman fan, and I'm sure there's not maybe not many of our listeners are i don't know but i think you would get a lot out of it if you were but i certainly think if you love you know the godzilla kind of style stuff you'll really dig this i'm yeah, really I mean, really can't wait to see where it goes i think uh, i think kyle higgins is the obvious choice for this book isn't he uh you know with his history <laughs> and power rangers and that but I think the idea is to sort of uh reintroduce Ultraman to uh, a new generation uh, is what it is you know and and there's de- there's i mean i i'm not i'm aware of ultraman but not familiar um and i know that, that certainly that that the first couple of pages um are a nod i don't know what i don't know what will come of them but the first the first couple of pages are a nod to uh to the original ultraman series back from back in the early 70s um mm. ultraman was a 
was this ultra warrior from the space warrior you know when he was chasing one of these creatures and he accidentally collided with uh with shane hayata's capsule and uh, then because ultraman felt guilty about about playing a part in his and in, in shane's death he merged their bodies together saved shane's life and from that day forward staunchly defended earth from aliens and monsters with shane hayata and uh the the equivalent of the usp assisting him and then you know, Shin was a an agent of the USP or SSP as it was called in the series, and he would switch to Ultraman. You know, whenever the whenever the it was warranted. You know that sort of thing. So there's a there's a nod there, yeah. but then but then you know, so we've got three pages in 1966, and we see something very similar to that. But obviously, it's not Shin Hayata; it's uh, Agent Moraboshi. Um, and Shin Hayata then appears. Then we jump to 2020, and Shin Hayata is is uh, Kiki's friend in uh in 2020 um so yeah it's really interesting i really enjoyed it really enjoyed it and uh, i really enjoyed that backup story i guess they're going to continue that as well yeah the way they sort yeah, of ended that think... with the little cue sorry Roddy, I... yeah just the way they ended up with that little no. cue you know like the instead of saying the end or whatever it almost just felt like a, a comma and to be continued yeah. i mean i would take a full issue of just that story i love that you know it almost looks like a wartime down back alleys agents making deals you know different you know countries dealing with each other and so forth through sort of back alley deals as i say yeah i, I love that uh, story as well i thought it was great um but yeah i thought yeah, yeah I think, great pick all right i'd say yeah i think the we uh the we backups as well i think they'll play like a bigger part going forward as well i think they'll maybe add to that bit more backstory yeah. as well a bit more texture to it maybe um but yeah, yeah no kyle, yeah, um, kyle higgins is a great writer oh. as well i mean just on top of the uh power rangers shout out of course uh great writer on nightwing back in the new 52 as well yeah, so he's, of course yeah he's uh he's a very safe pair of hands i would say and this was because he only recently i think signed an exclusive deal with marvel and this is an interesting choice for where to start you know it's uh yeah I'd be interested to see if um, whenever the Warhammer stuff comes out and the Alien stuff, you'll be interested to see if, like, does that feel Marvel or does that feel like something else? I'll be really curious to see. Yeah, see, we're saying all this and then Iron Man's going to turn up in issue three of Ultraman, then it's fine. so yeah great choice roddy so that is your pick of the week then for 9th of september which is rise of ultraman number one go ahead keith and finish us off then with your pick of the week for 9th of september uh, okay i'm gonna finish off with a wee bit of an odd one um it's a dark horse comics book and it is uh, from their 20th century fox uh, uncovered line uh, and it's alien the original screenplay number one um so it's an adaption of Dan O'Bannon's original 1976 screenplay, which was originally titled, what did you say, Roddy? Star Beast. Star Beast. And the, the visuals and the designs of the ships uh, and the alien are based on the descriptions in the screenplay, which obviously was written before the involvement of, you know, the H.R. Geiger, and, and, Geiger. And, uh, and Mobius or, or, and Ron Cobb and, and that. So, it's it's Keith, kind. Have you been listening to my podcast about Alien? 
Uh, I have listened to it. I listened to it whenever yeah. it came out. Yeah. Good, uh, good starting points if you're uh, going to pick this up as well, if you want to go back, loyal listeners. And interestingly enough, because uh, because Marvel have picked up the license, this is probably going to be Dark Horse's last Alien book, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, it's a wee bit strange. Um, it's a wee bit strange because obviously we're all very, very familiar with, with Alien and and for for obvious reasons, because it's such a fantastic movie and it's it's genre defining and it's it's you know it it, it creates that nearly that space horror genre you know and it so this is all very familiar. Uh, you know the story: the crew of the Nostromo are returning to Earth after a mission that they're woken from a form of stasis by the ship's computer protocol. It seems that there was a distress call received by the ship. Um, it's protocol to investigate and attempt to see if any survivors, but this isn't the Nostromo at all. This is a ship called the Snark. Um, you know, it's, uh, the, yeah, the visuals are, are very, very familiar. You know, there's cockpits familiar, the beep, beep, beeps and the clackety, 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 clack, you know, and the, you know, as the, the ship comes back to life, it's just, everything's a wee bit less grimy, a wee bit, um, sharper a wee bit uh more advanced than it is an alien um you know and while you know you'll remember the crew as dallas and kane ripley lambert ash parker and brett you have to become reacquainted with uh ruby brucerd faust Mulconus, chaz captain standard and jones the cat uh who uh, who you'll be familiar with so yeah i mean it just you know, it's just seeing those different. You know, maybe, maybe it's maybe this is something of a historical time capsule, a uh, sort of what what might have been. Uh, you know, it's written by Dan O'Bannon, obviously. A script was adapted by Cristiano Sykes, art by William Balbi, and you know, William Balbi and Candy Sam and Colors just do a fantastic job. Obviously, obviously, their visuals are inspired a wee bit by the movie how could they not be like how could they not be you know so influenced by by that you know but you know there's just the look is the look is different and and some of the 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 tones is similar but there's a slight twist to it and it seems a wee bit more light-hearted when they're on the ship and you know whenever they're bantering a wee bit it's a wee bit more jokey and a wee bit less you know machismo you know that sort of thing so it's uh it's just really interesting so i i definitely felt the same i, I was i was i was trying to deliberately disconnect myself from the alien movie in order to enjoy this and this you know even there and I, and I think i succeeded because i was feeling that trepidation as you know they woke up and they were only halfway through their their cryo sleep they were nowhere near earth They've got this signal, even if you know what you're sort of expecting. I don't know why, but it was really keeping me on edge. It's really well done, and maybe maybe I wasn't as divorced from the original movie as I thought, you know, because maybe that's where the the feelings of of dread are coming from, you know, the calm before the storm. But uh, but yeah, I just thought it. I just thought it was it was just nicely familiar, but nicely just different enough, you know, and. As they mm-hmm. they land on the you know it's slightly different. They're landing on the the way they land on the planet is slightly different, and um, 
you know, the the as they enter the alien ship, uh, there's something familiar, but the space jockey's different as well. There's still no sign of. There's a few wee nods, you know, a few wee hints if you're looking for them, which of course you are. You know, there's an empty an empty egg sack, you know, and and that sort of stuff. That's but. Yeah, I just, I really, uh, the, 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 the space jockey looks a wee bit different, uh, part biological, part technological sort of thing, you know, um, it's a wee bit, but, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, I just, I enjoyed it. What can I say? I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to, to the next few issues to see how it unfolds and, and Bannon's original, you know, view I before. Go ahead, Roddy. Well, that's when it's gonna get that's when it's gonna get really different, I think, is that um the drama between all the characters and the sort of differences in the horrors and the actual physical alien towards the end. Um but I think what you're describing was kind of how I felt about on the starting points podcast. I was talking about um there's an illustrated um yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's like an alien the illustrated story by it was by walter simonson um can't remember the artist or the writer's name off the top of my head um but those are the feelings i had when i was reading that i was like it's different but it's really good and it's a good kind of different it was their sort of interpretation of it it was it was really a curious a curious document you know mm-hmm. um but i think that's why we we really dug um, the alternative Alien Three comic book. Yeah, did. yeah, that's right. It was kind of like a similar vibe with um, was not Johnny Christmas and Tamara Bond villain. That's right. But, but that, um, I mean, the difference with Alien Three is there was a lot to improve on in Alien Three. You know, the movie. Yes. <laughs> you know, whereas Alien, there's it's it's a it's a seminal classic for a reason. You know. Um, yeah, this so, is more curiosity. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. But uh, it's it's fun to 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 re-experience that and the feelings associated with that, but not quite. You know what I mean? It's uh, it, and I think that was it. Archie Goodwin and Walter Simonson. That's the one. There we yep. go. Um, so yeah, I just uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it seems an odd one. Now I'm now I'm reviewing it and thinking about it to to as a pick of the week. But I just it really it stuck with me. It stuck with me, and therefore mm-hmm. I just, you know, it's it's uh, it's nearly like some sort of a love letter to 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 aliens, you know. It's yeah, uh, I don't know if you were a new reader and you were reading it for the first time, having never seen Alien. Would it? I don't know. I, I just don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I would I recommend uh, giving it a read. I suppose that's it with uh, alternate takes like this. They're mostly going to be read by people who are familiar with the movie because they're curious to see an alternate take. As you said, it'd be really interesting if someone had never seen the movie to read this and see how they respond to it, that kind of thing. But I do have more issue ones on the way for the store, so I'm definitely going to drop into it myself. Issue two is actually out this week as well. So I think this might be... I don't want to say a rushed release, but I get the feeling that Dark Horse almost want to release this and then go, you know, right, Marvel, uh, the the franchise all yours. You know, I think this was yeah, far yeah. enough along that they mm-hmm. wanted to release it. 
but very much so Marvel are going to obviously take over with the Aliens and Predator franchises yeah, and so forth. I mean, in some ways, in some ways, this Dark Horse having that franchise for so long, so we did a poetry in, in releasing the original script of the original movie in comic form as their last as their last act. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. But yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into this myself, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're digging it. There's Again, quite popular in the store. Quite a few people have it in the old uh, the old pull list. So, cool. So that was Keith's pick of the week then for the 9th of September, which is Alien, the original screenplay, number one. So, same again. We'll just work through a few honorable mentions for this week. A uh, couple of DC, a couple of Marvel, a couple of indie. DC-wise, I think you're up first, Keith, With uh, as we approach the end of Joshua Williams's run on Flash. Yeah, I just I don't want it to end. Uh, just I don't I think it's it's a great story it's pulling in you know Joshua Williamson's had you know has over a hundred issues now on this and you know overall it's, it's flashed off he's now pulling in the whole Flash family the all of the Flash villains you know and uh, and a great great story called uh, the finish line obviously uh, what else would you call it um and uh, it just it's all coming together there's time travel there's alternative universes various versions of various flashes uh, and it's all against uh, you know it's all against uh, reverse flash and his legion of zoom uh, which is <laughs> which is a fantastic play on on dc history we learn we learn a whole lot in this issue some stuff that is very very nice you know that i mean i'm fam- familiar with the the uh the origin of uh of uh eobard thorn and uh and uh professor zoom and reverse flash and that and the fact that you know reverse flash was who killed flash's mother back in the day and and all of that and he says do you really think that killing your mother was the end that i would ever stop making your life a living hell wrong barry wrong and he goes through this stuff, you know. He, he, he in, in one in one page of flashback stuff, he talks about his role in the Bolton storyline. You know the, the 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 Batman Flash crossover. Do you remember mm-hmm. uh, that that sort of ushered in Doomsday Clock? And he talks about his role in uh, his role in uh, Heroes in Crisis. In affecting, uh, affecting um, Wally's actions in that, you know, and how he was behind that whole thing. Yeah, kind of gives a little bit of a new take on Heroes in Crisis, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he was using he was using his uh, his ability to to speak at a hypnotic frequency to whisper to whisper at a certain speed to push and pull people to do things they'd never do. And in the panel with Wally. Uh, you know, he says, I spent lifetimes making sure the fa- the Flash family found no sanctuary, which of course is the name of the name of the the the, the place in Heroes in Crisis that the the you know the unbalanced heroes were being held. And he whispers in Wally's ear, "No one will ever believe it was an accident. You have to cover it up," which just brings a whole new meaning to. To heroes in crisis you know as to why wally did what he did you know it's uh so it's just and that's just one panel so i just thought that was fantastic but uh but yeah we're, we're really coming close to the end here with uh with flashes 
you know, where impulse is here and uh, and the the yeah, so much going on and uh, and we're really getting close to the end with with Flash pursuing uh, the Reverse Flash through the Speed Force and Thren saying he's gonna he just he's gonna kill him he's gonna kill him you know which is just very not the Flash the Flash doesn't kill you know so uh, he's just and you just get the feeling that this is exactly what what Thawne wants uh, that that he if, if if the Flash kills him he will win you know he will he will win in the end so uh, we're coming very very close to the end um, yeah good stuff the Flash strong strong since since Joshua Williamson took it over and and keeping that quality right to the end yeah and I think this uh, this current week uh, the uh, the releases this week that we sorted out to pull this today Flash 762 was amongst that and I think is that his last issue I think I believe so yeah 762 or 763 but then he also has uh, this week as one of the death metal tie-ins which is the speed force tie-in and it's written by yep. Joshua Williamson as well so getting some extremely good early review buzz so looking forward to digging into that as well mm-hmm. uh, another one that I know you certainly enjoyed and I really enjoyed it as well although probably didn't have quite the same emotional you know release that you had during this issue but uh, <laughs> Nightwing 74 uh, yeah, start us off on. Uh, yeah, part of the Joker War storyline. Obviously, the Joker has been pulling the strings with Nightwing so far, calling him Dicky Boy, and been, you know, essentially recruiting him to fight against the Bat Family and to be in his side. Obviously, throughout the Nightwing run, Dick Grayson has been having trouble with his identity. He's been pushed and pulled in different directions. Was almost made into a Talon. Is now Dicky Boy, and the whole way through it, all Keith is thinking is bring back nightwing and here we are exactly here we are <laughs> yeah it's a great great story the uh the name of the story is crystal cleared which refers to the the crystal that the court of owls have used to manipulate um you know uh dick grayson's memories since he was put into their care obviously without realizing it by bruce uh back in the day so they've used this crystal to uh to manipulate his memories, uh, to to clear away his memories of being Dick Grayson, to to keep him as Rick Grayson, as you say, and then to manipulate him to be a, a talent, which was really great. You know, whenever Dan Jurgens took this book on, he he sort of he was left with that sort of um, okay, so I've got Rick Grayson here. What am I doing with that? And he tied it back into Court of Owls, which was fantastic, and the talent stuff, you know. But one thing that this uh, one thing that this story does is it. Do you see how easily? Dick Grayson takes out Red Hood and Robin at the same time. Yeah, there's that panel, isn't there? Where he's got one of them in a headlock and he's punching him while at the same time doing like a backwards kick at the other one. Yeah, I mean, that just goes to show that that relative, you know, you know, Dick Grayson is is sort of on par with with Bruce Wayne when it comes to you know actual hand to hand combat. You know yeah. what I mean? He's 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 showing that he can take out any two. Of the Bat family at one time. Well, <laughs> well, I mean? so, Damien was not here. You know, let's not forget that. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, no, I still, I'd still, uh, I'd still take Dick, Dick Grayson over over Damien Wayne anytime, uh, in that in that bet. But but yeah, so uh, so obviously we we go through this 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 storyline at the at the first Dicky boy is. He's sort of uh, he's pretending he's 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 cured and he he sort of double blinds then the Red Hood and uh, and Drake, uh, Tim Drake and uh, and he's still in the control of the Joker but uh, 
you know, Batgirl becomes involved and uh, the Joker loses control of the, the, the crystal. And uh, just, you know, Dick is, is, is lined up there. He's got a gun pointed at Barbara and you just don't know. You know, he, he just can't he just can't pull the trigger. And I like to think that that wasn't anything to do with the crystal. That was to do with the fact that 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 Dick Grayson's personality was reasserting itself. You know, he's pointing a gun at at, at Barbara, who, you know, is his on off the on off love of his life, and he he just can't he just can't pull the trigger. It it looks bad for a minute. Then uh, then B, who is Rick Grayson's girlfriend, and is obviously the the tragic character in this story. She grabs the crystal and fires it back to to Grayson. He uh, you know, he, he he struggles with his memories, you know, his Rick Grayson memories, his Talon memories, his Dick Grayson memories, his Nightwing memories, and then shatters the crystal and uh and uh Dick Grayson is, is home for good. But uh and we're great, we see the Bat family back together again. Um, you know, there was a scene in Batman ninety nine which followed on directly from this, which I just absolutely love, but we're not talking about that here. Nope. Um and uh but the tragedy at the end is you know, she's given she's given Dick Grayson his memories back. Rick, the man that she was in love with, is gone, and uh, and B just B disappears. So whenever she she watches the Bat Family reunite, and she thinks that's it, you know. But then Dick turns around and goes, "I'm not sure where's B," you know. So I don't know, are we are we going to see any more of B? Is she disappearing into the shadows? Because that that's kind of kind of tragic, you know. And and given the world back Nightwing and Dick Grayson, she's lost the man she loved. You know, so lovely, lovely wee moment there from from Dan Jurgens. Do you think that could possibly lead to the formation of a new villain? That could be her origin story, the rejection of uh, the man she loves, who basically turned his back on her and forgot all about her almost. Well, the way she well, perceives it, as, the way she perceives yeah, it, she to be. perceives it. Yeah, he's just as soon as he's reunited with a family, he's asking for her, you know, I don't know. She says she hates Gotham anyway as a result, but uh, yeah. we'll see over the next few issues, you know, <laughs> but that, that that could be the tragedy of, of this particular storyline. Yeah, I almost feel if I'm slightly cheating here because I jumped on the Nightwing because of the Joker War tie-ins and now I'm jumping on at a point where we're about to get Nightwing back. I didn't have to suffer over the last two years like you did. With Rick Grayson, <laughs> you know, so yeah, you don't even know who B is, do you? <laughs> uh, just about by the the scene with her and the Joker in the bar, uh, which was actually uh, really really yes. good scene early on in the Joker War tie-ins. But yeah, this is another example I think as well. All the Joker War tie-ins have actually been excellent. So they have they've really added really added depth to the story, but stood on their own as well. So uh, I thought Nightwing seventy four was a really really strong issue as well. And then just so. and then just to finish off with uh, DC honorable mentions from this week, we is something I wanted to chat about, which was take a breath. Dark Knight's Death Metal Trinity Crisis Number One. I know you love those long titles, so <laughs> this is an issue that I'm sure is a double-edged sword for you, Keith, because the Death Metal tie-ins. I would certainly say so far with the anthology tales that we've had with Legends of the Dark Knights and also with. What was the other one the the metal guidebook those were very much optional they added a bit of depth but maybe apart from the snyder stuff and nothing was overly essential this issue to me probably should have been called death metal 3.5 this was essential stuff i even saw an interview with snyder where he talked about it and said we will go over these story threads and at the start of issue four but i recommend reading this 
So this is probably a double-edged sword for you because I know you hate tie-ins that are essential and are not part of the main line. But You're exactly <laughs> right, Alan. And Jesus, someone needs to sit these boys down and tell them how to how to plan out an event so everybody <laughs> gets to read what they need to read. <laughs> I hope you're listening, Scott Snyder. I hope you're listening. But anyway, yeah, this was the first one as well that wasn't an anthology book. It wasn't multiple creative teams. This one was 100% written by Snyder and drawn by Francis Manipal. And Manipal's an artist I really, really like. I loved his work in the New 52 Flash, for example, which he did with Brad Bucoletto. But so this one directly follows the events of Dark Knight's Death Metal number three. So uh, essentially, our heroes are split into three teams to battle Perpetua and the Darkest Knight, uh, the, the evolution of the Batman who laughs, if you will. So the whole idea behind this is Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman are wanting to journey into the dark multiverse and harness harness energy from previous crisis events in order to fuel the rebirth of the multiverse now what you have to do with metal i think at this point you just have to embrace the insanity of it it's over the top it's high concept you know we see stuff in this like alfred boxes instead of mother boxes we see swamp things summoning the totality of the green to replenish himself you know, there's a lot of creativity at work here, but it is big, epic concepts. And I know sometimes you say, Keith, that maybe Snyder loses the run of himself, if you will. But I enjoy this creativity, so I do. And the, he also grounds a lot of this in emotion as well. You know, Wonder Woman's been a great character in Death Metal. I'd actually argue this has been more her story than anybody's. Uh, I'd say so, yeah. Which, as a Batman fan, it's not easy to admit. But you know, there's there's really great wee moments in this as well. There was a there was a class moment in it I thought between like Jonah Hex and Harley Quinn, and you know you're talking about essentially a female clown jester and an undead gunslinger, and they're chatting away where you know Harley's saying she's feeling out of her league slightly, and Jonah Hex is reassuring her that she's doing fine. It's something we talked about recently, actually, Keith. Like, Harley has become actually a really well-written, interesting character recently. I'm not going to disagree with you. I mean, through Tom Taylor, and uh, there was something else I was reading. Oh, and, and James Tinney and Batman. Batman. Yeah, uh, so. I mean, I um, my my dislike for the character has had the edge sawn off it, definitely. And, uh, yeah, to some extent in here, I thought that, I thought that exchange between them where they, they have a wee, uh, they have a wee, just the exchange you're talking about. And she, she gives him a peck in the cheek and then turns around him and goes, did you just slip me the tongue? And he goes, I got no cheek on that side. There ain't nothing else left to kiss. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think this was definitely an issue that just is, is, embracing the outrageous it's it's got fun moments in it you know it's got every dc character you can think of under the sun and and then they ended with a really cool splash page with uh the introduction of superboy prime as well so yeah i i really dug this i do agree with the the slight misnomer with it i mean it would be easy to miss out on this one and not pick it up because you're like oh it's just a tie-in but this is pretty essential stuff to the plot uh, i don't know how it's going to be um I don't know how they're going to tell you about it in issue four, if it's going to be just a, a quick two-page you know, reminder or whatever, but I think this deserved to have the uh, the full story read because I, I thought this was a really, really strong issue of, uh, of Metal. Uh, I loved how he kind of leveled up. Uh, you know, Scott Snyder, in a very in-your-face way, leveled up the story because, you know, partway through the story, uh, the, the Trinity meet 
uh, Barbatos, who mm-hmm. is uh, chained up and is uh, is a prisoner of the 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 Batman who laughs or whatever he said, the dark the darkest, darkest of nights, night, the yeah. darkest night. Um, you know, when he talks a wee bit about how he got there, and it's uh, I mean, Barbatos was the was the big the big bad of, of oh, metal, really, wasn't metal, he? You yeah, know, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, so so Snyder totally, you know, the the big bads of this have got Barbatos chained up, and <laughs> Superman actually takes a wee takes a wee knock at him, <laughs> you know, and goes, yeah, <laughs> felt good, you know, so so yeah, it's uh, it was it was it was definitely definitely critical. I'm glad I read it, and also you know, Jaro the starfish. What a great character! Yes. Uh, again, continuing mm-hmm. with the charm and the humor. So, so yeah, I thought this was this was great. I mean, I'm enjoying Death Metal. It is a lot to keep up with, and it is lots of big concepts and tons of characters being thrown at you. But I'm enjoying the insanity of it. I just sort of go with it, to be honest. And and I always trust Snyder to at least end it well. So I guess we'll see. So yeah, that was uh, pretty much the DC honorable mentions. Marvel wise, we we've just got a couple. I'm guessing this is one again you can't talk about too much, Keith. Given, unfortunately, my lagging behind in my reading. You know what? I wouldn't. I wouldn't chat too much about it anyway, Alan. Uh, just by the nature of, of what it is. So uh, very often you find that the, uh, I guess the the issues that follow an event, you know, the tacked on issues at the end are are just there to to get a you know another ten pound out of your pocket or whatever you know. But uh, Avengers uh, Avengers Empire Aftermath. Uh, which is the Avengers title, uh, and Avengers, or sorry, Empire, Fantastic Four, Fallout. So let's see what they've done there. Avengers Aftermath, Fantastic Four, Fallout. Um, are the are the two tight? Because this was a Empire was effectively an Avengers Fantastic Four uh, crossover, um, and each one sort of finishes off a, a, an aspect of the story and. They do a really good job doing it. Uh, written by the Avengers, one is written by Al Ewing. The uh, the Fantastic Four one is is written by Dan Slott. Uh, Valerio Shidi on uh, on art for the Avengers one, and Sean Isaac Isaac Isaacsi on art for the uh, Fantastic Four one. And they just they, they tie things up nicely. They uh, they they send things out forward to echo into the Marvel universe of the of the future and what we're going to see over the next few years. Um, we've got a wee appearance by, uh, we've got a wee appearance by the original Nick Fury in his, uh, in his capacity as the unseen after the original sin storyline. And, uh, we've got the surprise reintroduction of a character that I was not expecting to see again. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I think they're, they're both well worth uh, picking up as, as conclusions, uh, epilogues companion pieces to to empire and i think they do a good job of setting up what's to come in the marvel universe probably over the next couple of years i very much hope that al ewing is at the center of that um his work there on on avengers would suggest that maybe he's angling for that title yeah i suppose it depends how deep his run on will he find them when their dead goes (laughs) Mm -hmm. so yeah uh one other one i just thought was just a uh <coughs> pardon me was worth a little mention was another venom one shot which was web of venom wraith number one uh so for this one you're continuing to be written by donny Cates. art is by you villanova and this one was exploring the character of wraith who is someone i'm not overly familiar with i believe he was 
part of Kate's Guardians of the Galaxy run. Is that correct? Um, but uh, yeah, he's uh, he, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, he's a character who he he sort of has a has a bond with a symbiote like um, parasite called Exelon, and uh, he's had it since he was a child. Uh, and I don't know if they've ever directly linked uh, Exelon to the symbiotes, mm-hmm. but they certainly they certainly do in this issue. Yeah, I thought this was a cracking issue. I mean, it it was probably my first proper introduction to Wraith. I, I dropped off some of his uh, Guardians of the Galaxy stuff, and with this one, it was an introduction to Wraith, but it was also... It's, it, what these one shots to me seem to be doing at the moment is slowly but surely building up just how big of a threat Null is going to be. As we all know, for about the last year, Null is coming. They're not uh, shy about reminding you, which is obviously going to lead to the uh, event King and Black in December. But you you sort of got to see uh, a little bit of a a little sousson of his power set, if you will, through this. And Excellent use. Excellent use of sousson. I, I thought you would enjoy that. Um, but yeah, I, you're starting to see more of Null as a character and sort of his arrogance and and so forth, and how he just sort of looks at Wraith in this as, you know, something who's massively below him, a little fly to, you know, flick out of the way and so forth. But, yeah, I mean, I, I really like these Web of Venoms. They're always one-shots. They're always, you know, good value for what you get for them. I thought the art was actually a particular standout, uh, really steampunky and gothic-y and uh, otherworldly. So, yeah, I thought it was a, a really good one-shot. And, again, it just sort of whets the appetite a little bit more for for King and Black, which is, as we know, coming. Um, cool, so that was pretty much just Marvel covered. So we'll just finish off just with a couple of indie shout-outs. Uh, I wanted to throw one out for an AWA title, which I seem to do nearly every podcast, is mention this particular publisher. Uh, so these are the guys that were doing Hotel, that are doing The Resistance. And there's this great one, which is called Bad Mother, so, Bad Mother. So, Mike Diodato Jr. seems to be a busy man with AWA. He is obviously a long-term or long-known Marvel artist. But he is doing The Resistance with J. Michael Straczynski. But he's also doing this little title, which is essentially exploring the idea of a mother almost as a superhero. But it's not some well-toned, you know, fluent in karate, had a background as a spy sort of mom. It's literally someone who... You know, there's a little uh, exposition at the back of issue one that talks about how, like, a superhero is a mum who can run a house, raise kids, you know, hang the washing up on time, keep the house running, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. So her teenage daughter gets kidnapped, and she then embarks on a journey to try and get her back. And it's it's a story very much all about, you know, a mother's love and about the, the lengths a mother will go to to protect her children and so forth. But it's got quite a dark dose of humor as well. So, uh, yeah, second issue just continued to uh, continue the story on nicely. It showed her doing a little bit of investigation work around her house, you know, knowing where her daughter would hide her second phone, for example, and, you know, following the clues of all this. So, yeah, really, really good book. I just, again, continue to really dig AWN, all of their output. It's just going to be five issues in total. So, again, we'll make a, a really good trade and just one i believe you want to finish off on keith uh we're back to that man kirkman 
Yeah, and I'm not going to say too much because I know you guys aren't uh, aren't quite up to date. But uh, Oblivion Mu- song much to your 20. disgust, every podcast. Much I to know. my chagrin. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. Absolutely. I do keep telling you that I'll uh, I'll lend you the the books that you need to to bring you up to date. But I I keep forgetting. So uh, uh, probably half my fault as well. But uh, yeah, blame the government. That's, that seems to be a, a fairly good shout, you know, on most things these Roddy, days. Roddy, we nearly um, got through the whole podcast without <laughs> Keith getting political. What? No. I was just saying, no, I, you know, no, never mind. <laughs> Go ahead, Keith. The Oblivion Song 27. So, Oblivion Song 27, uh, Robert Kirkman and Lorenzo De Felice's uh, creation. Um a beautifully written, beautiful looking book. Uh, it hasn't dropped in quality this past 27 issues. Uh, the The story is just getting deeper and deeper, and uh, it's 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 developing. And every uh, just it keeps stepping up and stepping up as a good story should. We're learning we're learning more about the uh, the Kotal, the aliens of uh, of. Uh, the uh, of oblivion song of the of the the desolation um and uh, and the, their plans and the, they called them the faceless men originally but they now have a name we're learning a little more about them and, and what their intentions are and what their agenda is um and we've had a wee bit of a time jump maybe since the last is you guys read this uh but uh all i can say all i will say is there is a lot to look forward to and uh, and a few more twists in the tail. So if you haven't been picking up Oblivion Song, what's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I trade read it, so I do. Waiting so I think, think I'm as far as trade four was the last one I, I jumped into. But no, it continues to be a great title. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure of 25, 26 and 27 in store anyway. So I probably should just grab them off the racks just to give Keith a little bit of support when it comes to his monthly oblivion song recommendation it's a little bit it's it's can, a little we can do the heavy lifting at some point <laughs> it's a little bit like your monthly gideon falls recommendation roddy you know we we all have that title <laughs> that people are trade rating yeah you know? so uh yeah well uh, that's it's part of the game isn't it but um i would love to talk about oblivion song a bit more and Hopefully, but that that was the idea when we got together, you know, we'd share books and all and be like, oh, here, have you read this? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, with lockdown and all, it's a bit different. But it is, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's all right, guys. It is we, what it is. We can always meet in the store. There's a there's a card machine there, so it's fine. You know, meeting in, <laughs> meet, meeting in places with a card machine is absolutely welcome, so it's absolutely fine. Uh, cool. Uh-huh. So that's going to do it then for the uh, 9th of September with our honourable mentions. So we'll finish off just how we always like to with the review stuff as always looking forward to the next new release day. Uh, so we're recording this, as I say, on the 22nd, the Tuesday. So this is, these are the titles we're looking forward to that come out on the 23rd. So for me, it is... Holy moly, I mean, my this podcast, I've been so off-formed. Two indie picks for my, you know, picks of the week. And now we come to what I'm looking forward to most, and two out of three are Marvel. What is going on with me? <laughs> uh, so my three are Daredevil 22, so continuing with that, Gloria Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetto stuff. Then we've got Thor number seven. I believe this was actually originally due out last week, but due to a printer error and... 
Diamond being their usual useful cells, uh, got delayed by a week along with all the other Marvel titles. Uh, so Don and Kate's in the decline on that one. And then, I'm all, as always, I'm looking forward to Suicide Squad number nine, which uh, has been teased for a while as the death of Deadshot. So I'm really looking forward to, to that. Uh, how about yourself, Roddy? What stands out for you this week? Well, speaking of Gideon Falls, yeah, I'm looking forward to number 25 that's coming out this week. Um, I think we're, what's that, 27 is the end, uh, bumper issued Christmas time, so. Yeah, I I um, even have a little Gideon Falls themed present for you in store, Roddy, so you can pick that up next time you're in. Oh, wow. Mysterious. Um, Mysterious. Yeah, looking looking forward to that and also big day because it's canto day always canto a good two, day canto two the hollow man number two is out what, what were you gonna say no no always a good day when that's uh canto day so oh right it is always a good day um but yeah our boys uh drew zucker and david and boer uh looking forward to seeing those little uh those little men and they're with their clockwork hearts. They melt <laughs> our hearts now. And um, actually, I was, I was looking at the releases earlier and I was like, I'm really looking forward to a couple of Marvel titles, actually. One of them was Doom number seven. Yeah, I would. Is there any issues with this? So every week, you know, uh, uh, anyone who watches the youtube stuff knows i have a weekly rant about diamond but this this one's a particularly <laughs> funny one uh so yeah so doom number seven dr doom number seven to give its full title was due out this week and we only have seven people who are on dr doom so we were waiting on seven copies coming in and vicky was pulling all the the releases out of the boxes this week and she sort of looked at these seven trades and went I don't think Alan would order seven of these, but then put it to the side and we continued going through the rest of the delivery. And then we were going through checking the invoice and I had a Dr. Doom number six for a customer because they're playing catch up. And then she's like, oh, and seven, Dr. Doom seven. I went, nope, none of those. So instead of Dr. Doom number seven, they sent us seven copies of Doom Patrol, Weight of the World's Trade Paperback. So <laughs> if, if you do want some Doom in your life, Roddy... If you do want some <laughs> Doom in your life, Roddy, we can sort you out some Doom Patrol. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a no. Um, I, mean, I don't think I've ever read it. I don't think I've ever read any Doom Patrol, so uh, I'll put that down in the maybe pile. Um, but yeah, just to throw out another Marvel title, um, Iron Man number one's out, so looking forward to that. Um, unless there's any issues with that one. No, no, and then, they're all safely there. Last, last but not least, um, it's quite funny with this one. Uh, the it's called the After Realm. Um, this is issue three by Michael Avon Weming and Sean Lee and Takisoma. This it's a quarterly comic, so it's kind of just I think pretty much business as usual. Like they've sort of skipped over the coronavirus, and it's good to go mm-hmm. here. Um, but it's a really great fantasy series. Nice quarterly, big, thick issues to jump into. Um, can't wait for that one. Yeah, it's pr- I'm really enjoying that one as well, Roddy. And how, yeah. How about yourself then, Keith? It's, great. it's really, really good. 
Uh, for me, Alan, uh, let me see. I'm looking forward to X of Swords, creation number one. A tar, a mission, a gathering of armies. It's continued from X-Men 12 and continued in X-Factor 4. Jonathan Hickman on story and, and, and writing, and Tini Hard on writing, Pepe Larraz on art and cover art. Uh, so there's a there's a, a nice uh, a nice pedigree there. Um, let me see. Looking forward to Dark Knight's Death Metal, Speed Metal number one. Um, talked about it a wee bit earlier. It's the Drag Race from Hell taking place after the events of Dark Knight's Death Metal number three. The Darkest Night is after Wally West and his Dr. Manhattan powers. Thankfully, Wally has the backup of in the form of Barry Allen, Jay Garrick, and Wallace West. So it's a knockdown dragout race through the wastelands as the Flash family tries to stay steps ahead of the Darkest Night and his Lightning Knights. Um, and that is, Joshua Williamson has said that is his uh, de facto finish of uh, of of the Flash. So that will that will sort of tail end the the flash series uh and also uh has a lot to, it'll also tail end um was it flash forward was it yep. the uh yeah so it'll it'll make a bit of you know it'll it'll be the the end to that story as well so i think for flash fans and wally west fans that one's going to be critical um so uh so a death metal title that i'm that i'm i'm really looking forward to and then uh let me see we've got batman beyond 47 it's the conclusion of the eradication agenda storyline and we're venting very very close to the end of this series at number 50 as well um dan jurgens is writing sean chen's on pencils uh just dan jurgens has just been doing a fantastic job on this on this series, Mr. Zero's plan is a success, and now the League of Assassins will finally achieve their goal of taking over the world. Will Batman, Batwoman, Damian Wayne, and what do you call the dragon? Goliath, is it Goliath? Goliath, I think you're right. Yeah, okay. So will they be enough to reserve to reverse Earth's new Ice Age, or will they be left to die in space? Uh, so yeah, uh, Exoswords Creation 1, Dark Knight Death Metal, Speed Metal number one, and Batman Beyond 47 for me. Uh, my thanks, as always, to my two brothers in arms. Uh, keep an eye as ever on all the social media stuff for any news regarding the store. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in for the next new comic book day. So cheers once again, guys. Uh, I'm sure I will see you in store in the next few days. Lovely. Thank you very much. And cool. Thank you. Hopefully we'll see you, Roddy. You know, we, we miss you at the store. We haven't seen you in two weeks. What's going on? <laughs> Vicky is. I've been winging it, winging a carefree adventures. Vicky, Vicky is <laughs> in Vicky. tears in the background here, in tears. Oh, I let her, I let her down. This is my public apology. <laughs> I think it's just, I think it's just a case if he hasn't come in, Vicky, because uh, we haven't fed him any dinners in weeks due to these government restrictions. That's no, it. we're not going to talk government stuff, right? We're out of here. Cheers, guys. <laughs> All right. Good night. Bye, keep on winging it.